0: You can kick your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagging, but the only food for the draven too, comes
1: from that green
2: dragon. Oh. South of Rivendell and Rohan lies the ancient and powerful realm of Gondor, the first and foremost bastion against the armies of Mordor. By the end of the Third Age, Gondor is but a shadow of her former self, yet still a dominant force in Middle-earth. The High Kings of old no longer ruled Gondor, for their line was doomed to fail. The realm's leadership has passed into the hands of the Stuarts, tasked with the rule of Gondor until a rightful heir returns.
0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Green Dragon Podcast. I'm your host, Matt, and I have here with me today Kylie. Hello, hello. And Jeremy. Also,
2: hello, hello. I'm gonna have an extra hello as well. I'm so excited here. Hello.
0: Always trying to upstage me, are you, Jeremy? Well, <laughs> that's
2: why I go afterwards.
0: <laughs> hello, 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 hello. Let's go. Alright, we're getting into Minas Tirith, as you might have gathered. From both the title of this podcast and from the introduction that Jeremy read to us, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna go straight. Well, first up, I just want to give a general idea of of how I think Tirith has really come into it in uh, in this new edition, and I just love the fact that now you can really make a horde out of them. They've got some super strong heroes. Everything is worth taking. The new stuff is really cool. Kylie, I I love Minas Tirith, and I think a a lot of other people do, based on what we've seen at tournaments recently.
3: Yeah, I have to agree. Minas Tirith is back, and it is back with a vengeance. They are such a prevalent army now, and have such good synergies within their list that they're really, really scary. And what I absolutely love what uh, the design team has done with this list now is they've made uh, heroes, um, interesting by creating a lot of new, uh, sort of mid-range heroes in like, yeah, your era lasses and, um, your Ingols. So you can't just take everyone, all the good things you have to actually pick and choose now, which of the heroes you want in your army and why you want them. And I think that's a really, really cool way of designing a list now in creating a lot of options so that you actually have to make choices in your competitive army list.
2: So many choices for Minas Tirith. I'm excited about that. I must admit, I was a bit of a cynic for Minas Tirith. It wasn't my favorite before. But this year, I've lo- noticed I've basically painted a Minas Tirith army or additional to my army. I've been playing with in both scenarios, and I actually chose it for a points match as well. So I might be sucked into the Minas Tirith like, wave as well. I didn't expect it. I thought I could resist it, but I feel like I've just been sucked right under, and I'm ready to go with Minas Tirith. Bring it on.
0: Know thine enemy. No one can stand against the king. We start off with our first profile, and we have Aragorn, King Elisar. And he is probably the most obvious Hero of Legend in the entire game. He is, of course, a Hero of Legend. Uh, he's got the same stats as before. I'll rattle him off. We've got uh, Fight 6, Shoot 3+, plus, Strength 4, Defense 7, 3 Attacks, 3 Wounds, Courage 6, 3 Might with a little asterisk, 3 Will, and 3 Fate. Now, that little asterisk, of course, is Mighty Hero, which means that Aragorn gets a free Point of Might every single turn... Which is probably the best special rule in the game, Kylie.
3: Actually, no. Yep, I would 100% agree with that. I think the, uh, the I think it's a uh, close second with the uh, Rohan banner. That's pretty good there too. But Mighty Hero has just been a staple for too long in the game, and it's kind of Aragorn's special rule. What makes Aragorn Aragorn?
0: No doubt. And he also has, of course, his Andoril Flame of the West, his mighty. Pointy sword of doom, as Kylie calls it.
1: Yay!
0: (laughs) Uh, Always wounding on a four plus. He can also use it now. It's better now. Yeah, it is better better now. It's 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 a little bit better. better. I'll tell us, Kylie. Tell us about it.
3: Okay, okay, okay. So aside from the fact it's now a hand and a half sword, which means he can go two handed for that juicy three plus to wound. So if there is something you really, really, really need to kill, he can totally do that for you. But the best bit, the best bit, Matt, is that it is now Elvin made. So he is a strike machine. Getting that extra, you know, three, like, it doesn't seem like much, an extra 16% chance to win the strike-offs. But that is huge, especially when you can get up to that, you know, cap of fight 10.
2: And it also means that y- your fight six isn't as scary anymore. There's a lot of fight six around. You might consider just going fight six versus fight six and save your might for something else.
0: Like winning the combat.
2: Yes, or wounding.
0: Yeah, or going two-handed and using it to bump back up to a six, potentially. Possibility of endless. Yeah, when you've got that free might point, you can really do anything. And he absolutely can do everything. He has heroic resolve, heroic march, heroic strike. Heroic Strength, Heroic Defense, and Heroic Challenge. Uh, the only one he doesn't have, I think, is Heroic Accuracy. And also Swap With Me, he hasn't Which got is... that one, sadly.
3: Yeah, he doesn't He doesn't have Channel, he doesn't have Accuracy. Yeah, yeah that's it. Like, that, as that, as if he needs ones. him.
0: As if he needs him. I th- does well, does Tryna have Accuracy?
3: Nice. That is a very good question. In fact, it is such a good question, I'm going to go check.
0: Alright, while you do that, I- I'll I'm going to keep talking about Aragorn. So... He can take, of course, an armored horse, which uh, you should do every single time, because he has horse lord, so he can also use his three fate points to keep that horse around, and that's an amazing bonus for Aragorn. For a 225, 240 with the horse point hero, to be able to keep your horse around is massive.
3: It's huge. It means you actually have to bowl him over with things, like I don't know, spell beasts or eagles or trolls or something.
0: Yeah, against it's, most models... It's a really good one. Yeah, against most models, I would say, yep, go for the horse every time. Against Aragorn, it's almost not worth it. Because how many other horse lords have three fate points? I don't think there's a whole lot. Most of them usually have one one or two. Uh, Amir. Amir has three, yes. I think uh, that's about it, honestly. Still would sort with the of, strength three.
3: Sort of, Um, what's her name? Um, Eowyn in durnhill mode.
0: All right, but there's there's none that are 240 points. No. No, no there are none that are
3: as big, <laughs> sticky as Aragorn.
0: Precisely. Now, he also got, uh, I don't think he had this before, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, he is a 6-inch banner. All friendly models within 6 inches of him count as being in range of a banner.
3: Damn. How good of is the that?
2: Or good. So yeah. good.
3: It's... It's 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 not just that it's like a six-inch banner to friendly Gondor troops. It's a six-inch banner to everything and anything. Anything that is friendly gets a reroll, and that's that's crazy, bonkers, amazing.
0: Yeah, that's about as good yes. as a banner. It's almost as, as almost. <laughs> almost as good as Prince Imrahil. Almost.
3: Almost as good as.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but
2: now finally giving him the stature he's supposed to be, like this mighty hero that leads things. I really like this profile now. In the past, it was it was okay, but they've really tipped it off with all the heroics and the the, the new sword and the the banner. It's really good. Horseman, well. the extra
3: warband size. Let's not forget about that with a 16 inch.
2: I won't forget about that.
3: 16 inch banner and eighteen models be able to like cram into his warband. He becomes like a central. Like, a massive center point to your army where you're just able to pivot just relentlessly with it.
0: Yep, so Aragorn still doing Aragorn things just better, I think, is the best way of putting that.
3: An app description. Also check in on the uh that little rule thing strider does have accuracy so he does lose accuracy um in king mode as it were uh mm-hmm. so a bit of a letdown there would be nice to have accuracy just in there you know if, if you're a mass archer block or citadel
0: guard but beggars can't be choosers yeah i think they should have given him heroic <laughs> channeling as well just in case
2: he's the one model that actually would use an accuracy as well because you've got that point of might and if you're not marching you might consider just making your archers more accurate if you're being stationary So that is a a bit of a drop, but I don't think you'll notice it. He's got so many other things to do.
3: Agreed.
0: Yeah, for sure.
3: I mean, marching every turn is still a fantastic thing. And you can always still call the good old reliable heroic shoot if you have nothing else better to do with these might points. So there's always options there.
0: And even if you don't
2: have a bow in your army, you can still call it. That's the best
0: part. All right, on to the second profile. So we have Gandalf the White. And on the same token, we have another very expensive hero that is perhaps now worth those points. Not that he was bad before. Not that Gandalf the White was by any means a bad hero to take in the previous edition. And I did take him. But now, Gandalf. His profile. Uh, He is a hero of valor. So, of course, this means that Aragorn will be a leader. I think in the army rules, Denethor... Or Aragorn must be your leader in this list if either of them are taken. Hero of Valor, 15 troops. He can lead Minas Tirith troops now. Yes, thank you. Mm. You're welcome. <laughs> Fight five. Shoot four plus. Strength four, but of course strength five with his sword glam Drink. Defense He's six. He's defense six now? Defense six. Yes. That Kylie's learning oh, something new yeah. as we as we go through his profile. Two attacks. So Two attacks for a wizard. Finally, mm, two. Three wounds. Courage seven. Three might. Six will. Asterisk. Three fate. Oh my goodness! Well, what
3: what what the, uh, I knew about the two attack,
0: but defense six. Defense six. W- three wounds. Have- three fate. Yep, yep, yep. He is a well, beast. I am so confused. I thought he was still defense five. Oh, you got to read those rules carefully, Kylie. Oh, there's so many little mm, absolutely. things. Absolutely. <laughs> so. That's- Oh man, his stats are bulky ass. Man, I wish that hey, my a real mind, choice. I, I wish that my mind could be blown as easily by, by a defense six. Like I just wish that I had that ability. I I love that about you, Kylie. <laughs> so, what, what has he got Kylie? Walk us through Gandalf.
1: Alright, alright.
3: So his war gear is old but new, I think is the best way to describe his war gear and special rules and magic. So he's Wargate, he's still got the staff of power, which I should also mention, all stars of power are now are hand and a half, so you can go one-handed, two-handed, stun or not stun. Either pick is uh, your choice there. He has Glamdring and uh, Na- Naya? Naya? Yep, Naya. Awesome. He's uh, Elven Rings. Glamdring uh, is an Elven-made hand and a half sword, which is redonkulous, like actual redonkulous. Elven-made weapons on anything... That is not an elf is redonkulous and i'm going to keep calling it redonkulous until it's not redonkulous
0: <laughs> is that the technical term yes redonkulous is Redonculus. the
3: technical term okay. for, for that uh i still gives gandalf uh strength five when he's making strikes with it interesting uh little side note that i noticed as well glam is an active special rule so if uh you get transfixed you can't use glam
0: yeah but it makes sense yeah yeah makes sense to me
3: yeah, yep. uh, he, Naya still can re his fate rolls. Uh, his heroic actions are resolve, channeling, and strike. I've found that resolve to be very, very useful at times, or rather, since I was on the receiving end of it, really, really annoying. Uh, don't <laughs> underestimate a really well-timed and well-placed resolve. Give give us that example.
0: Uh, uh, when was resolve used against you?
3: Okay, so, uh, top I, was, secret. I was, uh, no, no, it's not top secret, it's a uh, little bit of, a uh, kind of, like, pro-strats, kind of pro-strats, semi-pro-strats, we'll call it semi-pro-strats. Um, I was playing, uh, just a random game, uh, at a local store, and we knew that this upcoming turn was going to be the last turn. I had the Witch King and a bunch of my, um, Miranda Orcs and other Orcs and a troll and stuff, I, anyway... It was pretty obvious that I was going to get the kills I needed this turn to quarter my opponent and end the game. But I was behind on victory point. So my opponent went, well, the only thing that can threaten me at the moment is the Witch King. And the only way the Witch King's going to kill me is if he gets off a Black Dart or a Transfix. So he threw up a Resolve. Which not only covered Gandalf, but also covered, I think it was Kyrian as well, in the army, who were both at this point out of will or very low on will. Which meant that when the Witch King went in to throw his spells, it actually bounced off Gandalf and then the support ringwraith, the budget ring ringwraith that I had in the army as well, threw his spell at Kyrian and bounced off Kyrian and towards the end of the game, that ability to use your might and convert it into basically will points can be very, very clutch, especially if you're being conservative with your might points and still have some extra might to kind of uh, buff up your uh, pseudo-resistant to magic roll. Resources.
2: Resource
0: management. Oh, yeah. Can you just quickly describe to me how Resolve works?
3: (laughs) So when you call heroic Resolve, it happens immediately at the start of the turn before, you know broken with spells or any of that other fun stuff whilst you're resolving you cannot uh move But you may still act normally, so, you know, shoot a bow or cast a magical power. And in this particular part in the game, my opponent used it to compel a model into combat with him so that he could uh, still have Gandalf's impact on the game. But most importantly, resolve means that the hero that calls a resolve and all friendly mods within six inches of the hero gain a plus one dice when attempting to resist an enemy spell, which can be very, very frustrating uh, towards the end of the game when you're kind of low on stats, low on resources, resources and or if the game's about to end immediately
0: nice very nice okay yeah yeah i can see some application for that very cool very cool
3: uh an oldie but a goodie shadow has had a a really nice rework he still moved 12 he's 20 points now though so it's a bit he's a bit on the pricey side but he did pick up some extra really cool little tricks he strength forward defense five uh with the one weird encourage five still but he has two will and one fate, which means Gandalf can use Shadowfax's will to resist enemy spells. Since when a cavalry model is targeted, both the rider and the mount is targeted. So you can use Gandalf to kind of get an extra couple of points of will in there to kind of block enemy spells from like a Witch King or a, I don't know, maybe a Saruman or something like that.
0: Very nice. Are you That's saying? Really cool. Are you saying that he cannot use them to cast?
3: You cannot use them to cast at this stage. I'm hoping there might be like a little uh, FAQ or writer or um, designer's notes on how, how Gandalf can use Shadowfax's, uh might. Uh, sorry might will and fate as rules are written at this stage uh gandalf can only use his will uh shadowfax will points to resist spells as when a uh, cavalry model is targeted uh both the rider and the mount feel the effects so you can u- choose which ones uh will points you're using to resist a spell in regards to fate you can only use his fate when shadowfax is wounded by an attack you can't kind of share in gandalf's fate rolls in that regard as they're they're not split it's not like the uh white wag it's a bit ambiguous uh, in some aspects, and I'm hoping they're going to kind of clear it up a bit later with like an FAQ or something But we'll see how things pan out.
0: Mm. Like for instance Something you could ask about that is can Shadowfax re-roll that fate point because of Naya.
3: Yeah At this yeah. point if you take taking to the strict letter of the rule, no because it mm-hmm. says Gandalf may re-roll his dice from making fate rolls, not Gandalf and Shadowfax But Shadowfax is a mount. It gets a bit hazy, but I'm leaning slightly towards the no at this stage in the game Yep, but I think it would be really cool if Shadowfax and Gandalf have the same kind of combat synergy as Azog and the White Wild. I think that would make the pair very uh versatile.
0: Yeah, yeah. Either way, still a great pickup. Uh, The move 12 is incredible.
3: Move 12 is always fantastic. And, you know, it's Shadow Facts, gives Gandalf extra attacks. There are too many positives to not put him on Shadow Facts.
0: The only reason I'm
2: not taking Shadow Facts is I'm really theming my army around an infantry force because it's pretty much a gimme choice. Like most of the cavalry is for heroes, even in the walls of Minas Tirith, he was riding around on Shadow Facts, wasn't he?
3: Yep. There's a distinct scene in the middle of the Battle of Minas Tirith. Gandalf rides up onto the front walls of the Minas Tirith on Shadow Facts tells them all to fire the trebuchets.
2: You're taking Shadow effects.
3: You're taking Shadow Facts. Even if it's an infantry force, you're taking Shadow Facts.
2: A good, good, good. I really like it. He's got some good spells as well.
3: Uh, the spells, are uh, blow my mind. Like, constantly blow my mind. <laughs> and already, if you look at Gandalf's profile... He's a bit of a toolbox. He can do a bit of everything, but out of these spells on top of that, he's a toolbox within a toolbox. There's nothing this guy can't do. Like that's how freaking amazing Gandalf is now with his spells. And oh, okay. All right. Here we go. Here we go. All right. Magical powers. So he's got his, his good old cast blinding light on a two plus. Mm -hmm. He's got his immobilize at range 12 on a two plus. He's got his terrifying aura at rank, uh, on a two plus. So that's already three really useful spells on a two plus to cast yeah, next you've got it. your uh your good old command compel on a 12 inch range on a three plus a three plus command is just ridiculous <laughs> like Very the good. Sauron level amazing next he's got one of his new spells fortify spirit range 12 on a three plus this spell is game changing like that's how good this thing is like i have lost games to this spell and The fact that Gandalf gets it in a Gondor list is amazing. He's got a good old strength and will on a range 12, 3+, which you might not think is great, but... If you get towards that late-game moment, chucking a Strength and Will across the table can be very, very useful.
0: I, I think even early-game Strength and Will is nice. You can just throw free Will points around early if you've got not much else to do.
3: Especially if you have, like, a Denethor or something yeah. in, in the list who who really wants the extra Will points for his Courage. But we're about to get into the best bit. He's Ooh, got yeah. three amazing spells now. So, remember how Ring Race used to be a real pain in the ass, especially the Witch King to Gandalf? Well, no more! Gandalf has Banishment on range 12 on a four plus which is ridiculous the fact that he can just you know make barowats disappear make necromancers Ring raves specters anything that can cause your army problems he can just make them go away or at least make them burn a ton of resources to block it then on top of that he's got the oldie but a goodie Sorceress blast on a four plus at range 12 which i mean do we need to say more about sorcerer's boss we all know how freaking amazing it is even post nerfs and finally your staff is broken which is just amazing on a four plus again if you hit a wizard you can basically just click your fingers and that wizard is going to start panicking
0: yeah he straight up wins the wow. wizard off like virtually every time you'd imagine saruman's got nothing on gandalf
3: no there's only two spell in the game now that i think that can actually really push gandalf and maybe cause him to lose like the kind of magic off and that's the Witch King and Sauron. That's it. I think he trumps every other spellcaster in the game.
0: That's fair. I like it. Yep, agreed.
3: And even then, I'd still back Gandalf against, you know, the Witch King in, and Sauron if, if you get into some good positions and he's on the Shadow Facts.
2: Probably not against both of them. If it's the Witch King and Sauron, he is no, no. in trouble. I think cool, yeah.
3: you got different problems if the Witch King and Sauron is on the table.
2: I'd be asking yourself
3: some very serious questions about why that is. But if it's one we of them... just
2: recommended I, it last episode.
3: Well, true, yeah, we did. true, true, true.
0: <laughs> yep, true. <laughs> to be honest, Gandalf uh, is actually lovely for for some surprising things. Um, the Balrog, he just stays away from it and throws banishments at it. it. takes a long time, but he can wear it down, like, over the course of a game.
3: To, so, like, just chip off a wound to get that VP in the yeah. scenarios where you need to just chip a wound to get a VP off the leader. So handy. So, yeah, so exactly. Handy. And he's... And you he have to roll.
0: Yeah, the Balrog's not going to, um not going to be able to stop every single spell
3: and um, the best bit is you don't even need to roll for to
0: wounds with banishment it just doesn't work it's just a wound yeah straight up it's just it's it's so good it's so good it's the chill soul of the good side with limited targets but honestly most it's spirits are the things you'll be targeting anyway of course like etc. I mean, et even,
3: even just throwing a two dice banishment on like a specter you know a shade or something really annoying in the back line can be so beneficial like going into late game like just knocking out a couple of Spectres early or, or anything like that can just put you in the win position. Even the Army of the Dead. Like, you hit can't Army of the Dead army and you just start throwing, you know, 2 dice managements at just random plebs every turn. Suddenly, you're going to whittle down their numbers to the point where they can't really fight back.
0: Yeah, yeah. very true. Your banishment's fun. I like it. Two thumbs up for Gandalf, I reckon. I've already used him once. Heaps of fun. Heaps of fun. I may be using him again very soon. Please do. Please do.
3: I heard yeah. there's some, some way to get Pippin as a um, uh, passenger in points match games for Gandalf. i really like to see that.
0: Yeah, Dernhelm style. They just brought out the model, yeah, didn't they? I, yeah. yeah, that'll be good. All right, nice. Move on to my favourite. Oh, yes, let's do it.
2: I'm going to take this one because I am a real champion of... The generic king of men just because we have this profile available to us there were so many kings mentioned throughout the history and you really need a model to to add the theme there's so many proxies going around i love that we've got a generic king profile uh he's got some serious restrictions that he's definitely not an optimal choice but i like him anyway you've got a hero of fortitude which is quite low for a king to be honest uh he's got this same move as everyone fight five is not too bad four plus shoot strength four defense five uh Two attacks, two wounds, courage five. Courage is not bad. And then two might, two will, one fate. The extra will's handy, but not anything to write home about. And he's got the massive restriction of you cannot contain any other named Gondor models, which is good for the theme, not good for your, your army sort of selection. But I don't mind that. He comes with nothing for war gear, armor and sword. But... He's got heroic actions of march and defense. Defense is really nice. I like that they've got that. And then his options are an armored horse, a horse, heavy armor, lance, and a shield. So you can make him a combat hero at that sort of mid range level. And he's not a bad leader.
3: No, especially in small points game, he can be very, a very good option over something like a Ingold or a Kyrian. Simply because he has that defense and that march, which are two very useful heroic actions to have, you know, the the small, you know, 350, 400 point level where getting somewhere quickly or being able to just shrug off a troll for a turn can be very, very, very useful going forward.
2: I just wish he was a a one-up on the hero. The fortitude's a 12, isn't it? I wish he was the Valor. Valor. I think he I think, yeah, a king. I don't know. Is he the only king that's at
0: Fortitude? He's got to be sure.
3: I think so. Yeah. Yes. I'm pretty sure he is.
0: Yeah, that doesn't make a whole no, lot no, of sense. No, no, My dwarf, issue.
3: Dwarf kings of Fortitude as well. Yes.
0: Well, they'd be exactly oh, the same, wouldn't okay. they? Do they have the same restriction on... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, no, they, they don't. Have heaps of dwarf kings. So okay, no. well, all right, whatever. Dwarf
3: kings, I think, have different heroic actions. I'm pretty sure
0: that they, they have resolve in there as well. You know, it's interesting. They're an awful lot like Numenorean captains, aren't they? They very much are, yes. yes? Hmm. That's all I had to say. <laughs>
2: You're really only going to take one. Like the Numenor and Captain, the advantage is you can take quite a few of them, and they're really good combat heroes. This guy is going to be your big hero if you're taking him in the list. So I don't know that he's on par with the the Numenor Captain, except in those small games, or if you really just want to spam Warriors on a big game, lots and lots of basic infantry. He's not too bad in that case there. His courage is great. His defense is great. If you want to protect him, it's not too hard. But once again, he's, he's just one of those characters that's, pretty good but nothing to write home about in a list that has so many fantastic heroes
3: i don't mind him at low points levels or at big points levels with say uh, al the young
0: yeah i think you need to ally yes, but that's... i think you need to ally to make him work because you need some strike in there there's no other way to get strike in a pure gondol list if you're taken but
2: yes there is there is i don't know the um the, the knight of the white oh Tower. sorry
0: yes that's a generic hero you're right good call
3: yeah so just before we move on to sort of uh, other heroes in the list and the kind of the next part of the thing i'd just like to point out one big thing about the Gondor army list that we haven't really touched on yet. And I think we kind of need to touch on now before we get into the rest of the list and that's their army bonus.
2: Oh, go for it. it. Shouldn't take too long.
3: No, it shouldn't. They have a very, very simple army bonus in that if you take pure Gondor, you get plus one courage to all models, all Gondor models within the army list, which when you're kind of writing and planning out your army list is super powerful. Like you think about like the, just the three characters we've talked about so far in Aragorn, Gandalf, and the King of Man. The plus one courage means that Aragorn's, you know, rocking around with courage seven. Gandalf is a whopping courage eight and just can't physically run away unless
2: Gandalf's not a Gondor model, is he?
3: Correct. No, you're right. He is not a Gondor model. So no no courage eight on Gandalf. But, you know, your King of Man is now Courage 6 with two will points. He suddenly becomes hardly ever going to run away. It it makes your Denethor, that we'll talk about later on, you know, Courage 6. And it's just, it's a really, really, it's not an inspired special role, but it's really, really powerful and really, really potent. It's a
1: no-brainer
3: as well.
0: Yeah, I wasn't big on it in the past, but uh, I have found it, you know, pretty handy when I've used it. I haven't disliked it.
2: Kind of boring,
0: isn't it? It is a little bit boring. That's that was my issue with it. Like, why not plus two? I card? agree with Kylie. That it's would be useful. amazing. It is useful, definitely nah, useful. Uh, yeah. Alright, let's, let's move on to Captains of Minas Tirith. Now, these guys Pretty much the same as before, but a couple of little things that make them uh, interesting, at least. And and I've heard a lot of people saying, no, they're no good. Like, captains, generic captains aren't much good. No, they're definitely useful. Heroic March is really handy, and these guys do, of course, have Heroic March. And, in particular, the Captain of Minas Tirith now also has Shield Wall. the Shield Wall special rule, along with uh, the troops, as we'll get to in a moment. And uh, that will allow him to get up to Defense 8, with a shield. So that is absolutely nothing to sniff at. That is dwarf level defense, very tough to get through. He can sit in front of something and shield, and he can use his might to heroic march, and as captains usually do, heroic move in those clutch moments. So I, I reckon captains, and, and they're cheap, they're absolutely cheap. 50 points for a hero of fortitude, nothing wrong with that. Uh, give him a shield every time, I reckon, 55, or stick him on a, a horse, give him a lance, give him some power to run through some enemy models. Absolutely nothing wrong with the generic Captain of Minas Tirith, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I, li- I like them as well. I always try to take one if I can. I like the look of them as well. That idea that you've got this base warrior, you've got all these named heroes around, and then you've just got a captain as well that can do some heroic deeds, and maybe is up against it. But I do like taking the captain, and he he sort of never fails you, does he? He always does something worthwhile, even if it's just standing in the middle and shield.
0: Yep, sometimes that's all I need to do.
3: Yeah, I agree 100% with both of your statements. As as I've quoted, I think, in the previous two uh, casts that we've done, captains sure may not be what they used to be, but damn, they make the trains run on time. And I think that sums up what captains are in the new edition. They are reliable ways of getting your army to where they need to be and they're just reliable front rankers that if you need to stall for a while or you need to just hold up a space or be a courage test later in the game they can be that for you they're so versatile they're such a great addition to any army regardless of what kind of an army you're running that i don't think we'll ever see the captain die and even against some of these big named heroes that we've got coming up uh, later on just the fact that the captain has march and is such a, a stalwart part of your shield wall you can just you can make an army. It can just be that last little thing you need in an army to to keep it together and keep it cohesive.
2: Ali, can you change that saying of yours so that makes the trains run on times to something more Middle Earth, like maybe makes the wains run on time or something like that? Because <laughs> oh, I've got a real problem with the whole trains thing.
3: I can think of something, get back to me on our next cast and when we get to the captain profile of whatever on your list we're doing next and uh, I'll have something new lined up for you guys.
0: Someone will remind us if you forget, I I guarantee it. We're going to move on to one of the new heroes now. Tell us all about Ingold.
3: Ingold, what can I say about Ingold? He is obnoxious. That is the word I would use to describe Ingold. So he comes in at uh, a solid 65 points. He's 5-4 four, Strength 4 with Defense 7, 2 Attacks, 2 Wounds, and Courage 4 with 3 Might, 1 Will, 1 Fate. Kind of what you'd expect for a 65-point named character with uh, Heavy Armor and Shield. But what makes him really interesting is his ability, heroic abilities and his Special rules. So he has strike and defense, which are very, very useful at being offensive against big, scary things coming at you and just holding up space. And generally speaking, that's what Ingold's really, really good at doing holding up space. He has the Shield world's special rule and a special rule called Resolute Fighter. Ingold and friendly Gondor Warrior models within three inches of Ingold do not back away if they lose a fight. Their opponent must back away instead. And
2: mm, this is interesting.
3: There's been some contention about. The application of this special rule, which has kind of been cleared up in the FAQ. Mm -hmm. Was it? Uh, So that happened.
0: (laughs) Was it cleared up? I think it does.
2: It was erratic, I think yes no i
0: it, so... i am I'm, I'm aware i i don't know if either of you saw i post on the GBHL. yeah i um... i'm i'm not very happy with how it was not the fact that it was removed the fact that uh technically he couldn't be trapped uh but now yeah, of I'm, course wanna... sorry go ahead
3: yeah no i was just gonna say like yeah uh, i i know it can be a bit of a stat uh, technically can't be trapped but if you look at his kind of Special rules and the points you pay for him you're getting a lot more for that 65 points if he can't be trapped
0: like yeah that... yeah and, and I had no problem with him like being able to be trapped i just wish that the faq had been a little bit clearer i don't think it was very clear how that works because i look it's a whole thing everybody knows how it should be done it's fine he can definitely be trapped i found having used him the worst thing for him is fighting against cavalry enemy cavalry he really doesn't want to take a cavalry charge because he loses everything he loses his shield wall he loses his trapped or not trapped or whatever yeah not good for him but aside from that I rule, yeah. yeah i the resolute fighter is still a really nice rule it's great it allows you to really hold a position uh and it's almost impossible to budge them once they're really dug in
2: is he is the actual physical model a good one matt you've got it in person, don't you? Is, it's is it nice. one that you like? Would you take yeah. it?
0: Here? Yeah, I really enjoyed, yeah, I, don't um, mind it either. I cool. really enjoyed painting it. So, and I don't say that about a lot of things. <laughs>
2: so. You definitely don't.
0: <laughs> Him and bear Huren,
2: mind, actually.
3: Bear in mind that Matt painted this model at what? 2 a.m., uh, 3 a.m. on the night before a tournament.
0: Yeah, if anything, that makes it even more a- impressive.
2: That's good. No, I, I'm confident that some of the, the new painting style, I can't quite decide if I like the models or I don't. There's, there's some shadows or light going on. That just makes me feel like I just need to see the model in person rather than just look at the the picture. I don't know. Does anyone else get that? Okay,
3: I, I can, fair I can, enough. I can understand your point of view there. I can understand why you would find it a bit funny with some yeah, of the new you, poses and stuff.
0: You might just need to see them. Yeah. Yeah.
2: No, I do. I agree.
3: No when I when I saw the model. Uh, assembled and undercoated for the first time. I went, yeah, okay, I'm sold on this pose. The shield is also very, 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 very nice sculpt too, by the way. The the detail on the shield is pretty, pretty smick. I do like
2: a different shield. That's good.
3: Circling back full circle, back to kind of Ingold's in-game presence. I still think the Resolute Fighter is a very, really powerful special rule, especially with a lot of the objective-based scenarios that are very... Prevalent in the new uh condition and the way kind of tournaments are run now. And the fact that you can just sit at the edge of a, you know, objective range that says domination, you can sit on that three inches and know for a fact that for your opponent to get onto that objective, they've physically gotta kill you. They can't just go around. They have to dislodge that unit. And being able to just sit on an objective and have a pretty good chance of. Just having that objective at the end of the game is worth that 65 points that you're going to pay for him.
2: What I love is that if you're sitting on an objective and the opponent charges you and touches the objective you know that they're off the objective no matter what happens like you have to back away in a straight line so you can't just go around the corner and stay on the objective so he is a machine for holding objectives and his friends are as well agreed
3: 100
0: percent. yeah definitely definitely found that while using him absolutely very very useful all right let's move on to some warriors some warriors of minas tirith who are staples of course with gold due to his shield wall and resolute fighter.
3: I would go one further and just say they are the staple of the Minas Tirith army list now. They are what make Minas Tirith Minas Tirith.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like, I guess beforehand you probably wouldn't have seen full armies of them, would you? You'd, you'd definitely want, like, a lot of that. Uh, I mean, you saw full armies probably of Fountain Court Guard, but uh, Warriors of Minas Tirith tend to be shunned. In the past, a little bit, uh, they were they were fairly average, honestly, a little bit below average. Uh, even the,
3: the five-three defense six just wasn't enough, mm. but. When you bump them up to fight three, defense seven, suddenly they're tough enough to hold off a Miranda North charge or a Gundabad line attacking you, or even at times they can just shrug off Kazard guard going at you, which are the most ridiculous things in the game in terms they're of. They're not
2: defense seven. They can be defense seven if they have the shield wall up, which is a bit of a difference because it's not always active.
0: You can get around it. Yeah, definitely. And that's absolutely worth pointing out. It is actually. Fairly tricky to keep it up. You you have to really work for it. One thing I did find though is that matchups in the past that would have been very poor for Warriors of Minas Tirith are suddenly, if not favourable, at least even. And in particular, I found that with Morannon Orcs, the Morannon Orc matchup for Minas Tirith in in the past, or Minas Tirith Warriors specifically, was awful. They just wounded twice as well, and otherwise were almost identical. Uh, and they were slightly cheaper, I think, or same points, maybe? Uh, they're the same points. Same now. points, um, yeah.
3: Warrior Minas Tirith with Spear and Shield is the same points as a Moran Orc with Spear and Shield.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in the past, that was pretty bad for Warriors Minas Tirith. Uh Now it's it's a pretty even matchup if you can play your shield wall well.
3: And I, I think that's... What I absolutely love about the fact that Minas Tirith Warriors now have shield wall is that if you play them well, it is a skill-based army now. It's not just line them up in a shield wall and watch them go. It's can you maintain that shield wall? Are you pushing back in the right ways? Are you, you know, anchoring your forces there? Do you have Ingold in the right spot? And I really, really love the fact that, you know, these models now have... A really useful special rule and have regained a place in the game that they had lost a long time ago
0: and something else that's really interesting I uh, I think uh, and I've seen you doing this for years and years Kylie the the tactical retreat it's not running away it's reforming and oh, it's moving th- back yep yeah. yeah. and this army the disengaged. yeah the disengage that's right. This army, I think, will actually lead some players to realize this tactic on their own. And I think in the past, may, maybe it was a little bit, I don't know, a little bit outside the box, a little bit too much for, for people to go, oh, maybe I should just move everything back, just not engage with my heroic move or, or what have you. But with this army, there is a huge benefit to doing so. And I think we'll find some players realizing this on their own, and, and we'll probably see a lot more players doing this, and, not, and then, you know, applying that to other armies as well, which is really cool. You know, I think it's yeah, quite, no, yeah.
3: To quote our boy theoden reform the line.
0: Yep, he did say that. He definitely said reform the line. He's definitely our boy as well. Let's move on to the cavalry unit in Minas Tirith. Jeremy, what are they? What do they do?
2: Oh, these I love these guys as well. The knights of Minas Tirith are just your your cavalry. That everything is measured against. They're cheap. They've got good defense. They've got the lance. They've actually got shield wall, which I don't think actually works on horse. So when they get dismounted, they just join the ranks. They are very good. Uh, you've got your standard profile. You've got heavy armor, and you're probably going to get a shield for them. So they're going to be defense six. You can take them without the shield. The old models didn't have the shield. There's some cases where that's okay, but your shield wall's not going to work then when you're dismounted. Uh, the lance, fantastic piece of war gear. Standard horse fantastic all for 14 points with the shield and you've got a batter option as well i love these guys i really take a minus list Midis list without them because they just give you so much versatility and they just do their job really well
3: they are the hammer that is the <clears throat> let me start that again yeah okay <laughs> uh they are the hammer that all hammers Compared to in terms of hammer and anvil Hang on, anvil. sorry, oh, uh,
0: you, hang on, sorry You dropped out for a second it Started oh. Number three, attempt three
3: Alright, they are the hammer to the hammer and anvil That all other ham- hammers are You know what? <laughs> <laughs> let's just scratch everything i just said oh i'm leaving this in keep it keep it i'm <laughs> leaving this one in and you know what i'm just going to shut up uh and stop talking because everything that jeremy said is on point for knights uh, and minister i
0: they're good i like the models yeah I, i'm really glad that they did put shield wall on them because otherwise it would have been an absolute pain if they lost their horses trying to figure out which ones on foot were knights so good oh, foresight with yes. that one yeah. yeah well done yeah so the the thing i enjoy about using knights of minister earth is you know if they go in one-on-one against a foot model good chance of killing it very good chance unless you're me and you roll a lot of ones and twos i am amazed how often i would win a fight i thought very unlikely to win and then fail to wound anything with them but hey that's uh that's not on the knights that's on me and my dice knights of minister Really good. Uh, add a flavour to Minas Tirith that they definitely need. I think they're really good for the army, and you want a few in there.
2: Such a bargain. Fourteen points is just really good for for heavily armoured cavalry. They're your heavy cavalry. They're good. I like them. On to the stuff that I don't like as much.
0: Yeah, yeah. let's.
3: Yeah. All right. All right. Are and you...
2: we we know why. We know why. I'm not going right. to do it. I'm not going to do it. Are but you, sure? can you please... Can we can we please just call them Gondor trebuchet and Gondor bolt thrower and then I'll behave. Is that okay?
0: Can yeah, that's that? fine. Okay, so the trebuchet. Let's let's get straight into the trebuchet. Uh, um, are you sure we can't call them the uh, no 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 please no. no the
3: BC trebuchet or the uh,
0: the AV bolt thrower
3: or, or or the Marvel
0: bolt thrower. Marvel. <laughs> All right, the trebuchet. Um, someone tell me about this. I have no idea how it works.
3: Well, it works just like a trebuchet slash catapult should. It. Hell's a big rocket, a big thing, and if it hits the big thing, the big thing goes squish. Very um, but good. in all seriousness, in all seriousness, though, the changes to siege engines—I personally am uh, not 100% sold on them yet. But I do recognise that it can be very useful in some situations. So, and it's
2: not huge amount of points anymore as well, because you get that mini hero leading the warband. So you get—if you want to just go cheap. For 80 points, you can put down a trebuchet in the back of your lines and it's it's something the opponent has to think about at the very least. It can do some serious damage if it gets a hit. You roll that six on the scatter or you roll a five and spend a point of might on it and you get hit by a massive rock. That hurts. It really hurts. And if there's a a, um, a siege target around on the battlefield, it's going to make a mess of them.
0: Yeah, we actually saw up in Sydney uh, a couple of weeks back, there were quite a few siege engines floating around. I was a little bit surprised, but um, looking back on it and looking at the scenarios that were being played, it made a lot of sense for people to take them. I don't know that there were any trebuchets though. Kylie, do you know if there are of No any, trebuchets, but there were hmm. a few
3: catapults which are kind of performing the same role as a trebuchet. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I'm going to be honest.
2: I need to try them out a bit before I make final judgment on this. Are uh, you usually pretty confident but with these guys i want to put them down my concerns are the deployment is somewhat restricted but this one's okay because you don't need the the line of sight you've got indirect fire uh, you've got the the one point of might you've got a couple heroes you can put at the back 80 points is not the end of the world and it really splits up the opponent's formation because you've got that two inch scatter effect as well where you hit with strength five so I think it could be pretty good. I just need to try it.
0: It's funny. I, I heard a story while we were up in Cot. Um, I think uh, Lockie, Lockie Rig had a, which one is it? The Iron Hills, Iron Hills Ballista. And he, I think he was playing Storm the Camp or, or something like that, where there was a long distance between his army and the opponent. I think he even played Andrew Coleman in that one. But what he was doing yes. is, he, yeah, he was using his goat riders as scouts. So he'd, he'd leave the rest of his army behind, he'd send some scouts out to look for the targets that he wanted to hit, and then he'd uh, fling the bolt throw at him. Uh, I just thought it was a really funny, like, image of, uh, of how that would work. The scouts, the the, the goats just sort of, there, running around, and then, oh, over here, over here. So, yeah. Right. Uh, Makes sense. Yeah, it
3: does. Right. My issue with the, the Gondor, uh, Trebuchet, the Mortar Ball Thrower, and, and any of those kind of things is it's trying to apply pressure on your opponent from range and kind of try to leverage a situation that you wouldn't normally be be able to leverage. I argue that if you had, for 80 points, you could take, say, five Knights and Minas Tirith. And when I look at the applications of a bolt thrower compared to the applications of say five knights and minsterrith in across all twelve scenarios, the five knights and minsterrith are out of those twelve. I think about nine. Of, nine of the twelve are going to be more valuable to you than that bolt. That bolt thrower or the trebuchet or the ballista or whatever the hell else you've got, and that's part of the reason why I'm not sold on them yet and kind of can't really see why you would need to use them outside of a situation where your opponent is entrenched, such as a siege or in a scenario where they have lots of defended positions.
2: That's fair enough, but I feel like It, because Minas Tirith Warriors aren't that expensive across the board You can probably make your army where you fit it in if you don't go to too many other elites and big heroes and things I don't think you will have too much problems fitting it in and I think potentially It could really do some some damage to, especially those big things. Like, if you're really worried about monsters or the gigantic monsters or Sauron or all this sort of stuff, it's something that can actually do some damage. So I don't, I don't
3: not mind the the idea. It's not, it's
2: no, it's it's very inconsistent. It's
3: so inconsistent. It's and it requires so so much light. Even in the scenarios where you get to use it, like storm the camp, or like uh, I think it's uh, to the death, where you you start twenty four inches apart, you only really get to see them truly shine in those scenarios. And even then, you're looking at like sixteen percentiles, and you know one in twelves for you actually to hit to scatter correctly. And then on top of that, you still need to wound, and there's just too much dice rolling in the in there for me to see it be used consistently and for it to be used competitively in, in fun lols, you know, whatever my games, I don't mind them take in front of the games, take them to your heart's content. But in a competitive game, I cannot see them being justified for the points that they are.
2: Fair cool. Fair cool. I would probably just look at saying, well, why don't we just drop five for a casual 400 points and see what happens. I don't think that's a limit, happen. isn't it? Is it, how many are you allowed to have? Is there still a limit? <sighs>
0: I can't remember, honestly. I, I imagine I that, there I. is. Yeah, I imagine there is, but uh, yeah, I can't recall. Anyway, you know, I think something that's a little bit more interesting than the the catapults and the trebuchets is the bolt thrower itself. I actually really like the bolt thrower. Uh, I've tried it out a couple of times uh, as recently as last week. And yeah, it's, it's just a really big, strong bow, honestly. Like, it's a lot of fun to use to um, try and just get a good position, just sit there and just wail on the enemy, really. <laughs> Nearly took out Dane's Pig with it last week. I've heard people say that you don't necessarily need to take Swift Reload uh, for 20 points compared to 50 for the Siege Engine itself. I take Swift Reload every single time because I feel like it always gives you extra hits during the game. you You only have a limited time to use the Bolt Thrower. It's only got a range of... Uh, 24 inches so it's the same as a regular bow so i feel like you definitely need to take that swift reload to get at, you know as many hits as possible in the time that you're actually firing it
3: yeah I agree. it's really interesting it- for 77 points, and that's kind of how I would see it, you know, 50 points for the siege engine, I think you always want to take at least one additional crew and the swift, swift reload. It's it's the one siege engine that I can see being justified in an army simply for the fact that it doesn't function like a normal siege engine.
2: Mm. Yeah. I actually, once you're paying 80 points for it with the extra crew and the, the swift reload, I'm actually more tempted to go for the trebuchet.
0: Mm. you got to remember, though, the ultra uh uh, doesn't scatter either yeah true true, but it's not
2: as it's not as
0: threatening it's not going to take out the big things and
2: yeah i I, they're very different but for the same cost
1: i I don't know it's
0: it's more of a troop killer like, it, it really takes yes. out troops. Yeah, yeah. You, like, your strong chance of taking out two troops, two to three per um, turn of shooting, honestly. Like, I, I can't remember exactly how much I killed the other week, but I took a wound off Dane's Pig. I think I killed uh, three Mirkwood Cavalry, a couple more Rangers, and a Iron Hills Dwarf. For 80 points, absolutely worth it, I thought. Do you have the
2: insta-kill that all the no. siege weapons have? No, they don't. No. Or is it... No? Okay
3: insta kill but i think one thing that the avenger bolt thrower does that the other siege engines don't really do is it really controls where your opponent is moving it's it's like a block of 12 arches in that regard of you plonk it down and you go this area of the table is mine do not walk into it it has so much psychological potential it just freezes your opponent from moving into an area and goes I want you to move the, down this corridor where I have my army set up, ready to ambush you as you move into this open space.
0: Yeah, and Kylie was watching that <laughs> game that I played last week, and we saw what happened when you choose to ignore that and walk into its area of fire. It doesn't end well. You just
3: shred. Shred everything worth shredding.
0: Yeah. Um, fair enough, it, fair enough. Yeah, it's worth pointing I'm out it, it also doesn't have the knockdown either. So it's just like a Strength 7 bow, essentially.
3: Having a Strength 7 bow in your army is just so useful because even if you go 50-50 to hit, like, a hero's horse or, or the hero itself, like... Even if you're hitting the hero, you're a good chance to win that hero and start putting pressure on the on the hero. Like if it's a leader, they suddenly start throwing fake points really early into the game because they're being wounded from straight bolt shots, and yeah, it can it can it can really you know, sw- swing a game early on when you have no right to swing a game.
0: Yep, and uh, I found the might point on the siege veteran really handy. I saved that for a heroic move late in the game. And your opponent just ignores the Siege Veteran. They just forget about them. They forget that that's a hero with a Might Point, like, straight up. So you can just put him in a really nice position. It has to say within six of the um, Siege Engine, of course. But if you position the Siege Engine well, you can use that as a terrain feature to block off your opponent. And then the Might Point on the Veteran becomes really handy late game. If you haven't already used Agreed. it, of course. Yeah.
3: How you won that scenario of Bog of War with your Siege Veteran as the hero you wanted to protect, <laughs> I'll have no idea... But you did it. Well done. I'll give you a little golf
0: club. I can tell you exactly how they completely forgot that it was a hero. (laughs) They didn't know they needed to go after it. So, um, yeah, maybe a little bit tricky there. But uh, that was a really enjoyable game.
3: All right. So now uh, we've kind of talked about like the mainstay kind of Gondor stuff, the, the, the tin can, the, the kind of the, the big main hero in Aragorn and Gandalf. We're going to kind of move on to the the ranger contingent now in uh, Rangers of Gondor. We're going to start with Aramir, Captain of Gondor. He's taken a bit of a points hike. He's up to 80 points now, but he did pick up a couple of really cool things that I think is well worth the extra five points. Uh, no, 10 points. On What he used to be so for starters, he's a hero of valor now, which is pretty amazing He can lead up to 15 dudes and his stat line got a bit buff. So he's 5-5 five, five, strength 4 defense 5 2 attacks 2 wounds, but this is where the change comes in. He's courage 6 base now with 3 might three will and true fate which makes him super reliable late game but
0: just keeping your army around
2: courage six and then with the army bonus as well is insanely good so good
0: yep he's not gonna have any problems keeping your army yep yep really nice in addition he's also gained a special rule which means while denethor is part of your army and still alive he automatically passes all courage tests no issue with courage at all for him although He does have to charge if Denethor's on the board as well, which could be a little bit detrimental for him. But I think generally you still want him in combat. you just got to be careful with his placement.
2: I think that's a bit of a disadvantage because his courage is already so good that the chances of you failing are pretty low. And for the opportunity to be baited out by a canny opponent, I would prefer not to have that rule as a Tharamyr player, so... It's kind of good. It gives a nice flavor and makes you think about whether you just throw in Denethor or not.
3: That said, too, like we talk about being baited out, but if you have three of your own uh, kind of warriors and stuff in. I mean, you can use them to box Faramir in, and then select Faramir as your next move. He doesn't move because he's being boxed in. Allah can't be faded out, but it does mean that you are required to use, you know, three or four guys in your army to prevent Faramir from going nuts, so and charging through your charging ahead of your army when when you'd prefer to stay back. Yeah,
2: because yep. he will die if he's if he's on his own.
3: Yeah, he does have some really cool uh, heroic actions now too that I'm really, really kind of happy that he has this particular set. has heroic resolve, heroic accuracy, heroic strike, and heroic defense, which are heroic strike. Heroic accuracy is kind of much of a muchness, but resolve, strike, and defense, those are some good actions for Faramir to
2: have. The Defense is a really good one. That's probably my favorite new one. Uh, Resolve, Kylie, you really like that. If you're going to stand still and shoot, that's not too bad as well. Uh, Accuracy has its uses at times. If you've got a lot of in-the-way tests... So you've got some real options there and you've got the three might so you can make use of it as well
0: yeah he remains a solid bid tier level hero i think and and definitely worth taking in a lot of different armies uh and you can Honestly, run him he's... with a lot of different options as well
3: yeah he's kind of uh he's got a bit of a kind of you might want to run him out Chipo with just the bow on foot you might want to run him as a beat stick with heavy armor and shield with lance on the and horse like the, the the list and the kind of combinations are endless
0: and he also retains woodland creature which um sure that's nice yeah nothing wrong with that so
3: the next kind of ranger of gondor slash athelian that we've got is mudrill mudrill uh madrill Captain of Athelion, he's 55 points. He hasn't really had any kind of significant change to his role. Still has the Master of Ambush uh, for the plus one or minus one to your uh, reinforcement role. He still has the three might. Still got the two attacks and stuff. The only real kind of massive change to Madrel is here to his heroic actions. He can no longer do heroic strike, but... He still retains the march and accuracy, which I think is still very nice, especially when you're usually going to be running him a lot of Faramir or something like that. So the fact that Faramir doesn't have march is kind of made up for in the fact that Mudrill does have march.
0: Yeah, I think he's a great yes. little tech hero. Those three bite points, very <laughs> handy, can march around. Yep, very good hero.
3: Tech, I, I, I love that word. Used
0: for- <laughs> yes, he's a very tech.
2: <laughs> and that's in the action. The ambush rule as well, I find that doesn't appear a lot, but when it does, you're really glad you have it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, the
3: next kind of ranger hero we got is Damrod, Ranger of Ithillion. Uh He got a bit of a slap on the wrist in the new edition. He's only 25 points and a minor hero now. Uh, still with the uh, shoot value 3+, uh, plus, strength 4, kind of Ranger of the North uh stats but he is still super useful for a quick little warband drop run him with like two or three ranges off on the side they can be a real pain in the ass to have to deal with and with the plus one courage buff now to gondor as a whole courage five he's such a useful hero to have just you know off to the side doing his own thing running little you know skirmish missions yep.
2: yeah i like that he doesn't lead 12 models anymore like that was always a bit dodgy to me whereas damrod and 12 Rangers being chucked down so i like him i like the changes i like that we're not going to see him every time now he's no longer an auto choice he's a nice choice but he's not going to be there every time
0: yeah he, he strikes me as one of the heroes that they brought in the hero tiers for like this this is exactly yeah. why they have a minor hero tier because before when he could lead as many troops as any other hero it was, it was kind of silly like he was just a, such a cheap drop and now it just feels a little more fair. Yeah,
3: no, a hundred percent again. Him and uh, Barragon primary self spec.
0: Yeah. So next we have Curion, lieutenant of Aemon Barad's, who's who's a little bit uh, different in amongst this, but with the fluff, uh, yeah, he sort of hung around with the Rangers on uh, Amon Barad, which is an island in the Anduin, I think, somewhere. Yes, uh, yeah, right in the middle. Yeah. So Gw Inventor's got even got a value of
3: three plus two, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, it's that's kind of year, weird, hey. <laughs> but you
0: know, He's kind of, like, torn between being a ranger and a warrior. He's not sure what he is, but... uh, Yeah,
3: he's a good uh, middle ground for a ranger for...
0: Yeah, he's a nice defensive hero. Um, He has the very important Strike, which is always nice to have a couple of heroes with that. And Resolve as well, which you've brought up, is a a nice action. And he's the kind of hero that you wouldn't mind using Resolve with, because, like, he doesn't necessarily need to be in combat to be useful.
3: And you stole the words right out of my mouth, Matt. He is the quintessential Resolve hero. He is, he is, if there is a hero that in the game that you want to have heroic resolve on, this is the model that you want heroic resolve on. This is what um, was so frustrating in the game that I was talking about earlier with uh, Gandalf and Kirion doing the overlapping kind of interchanging resolve in, he can make, he can convert his will points, as I said before, into, sorry, his might points into will points for the rest of your army, which can be really, really useful going into late game because might is kind of one of the only real heroic stats that your opponent can't take away from you. It's always there until you, as a player, decide to spend it. And having that ability to, later on in the game, having a cheap little back, you know, backline hero with, you know, Courage 4 slash Courage 5, to be able to go, right, resolve, I'm going to make sure that Faramir and Boromir don't get targeted by spells this turn, or at least have a chance of blocking spells, while still being in a really good position, can be instrumental to you being able to win a game.
0: Off the top of your head, does Heroic Resolve stack? Off the top of my head,
3: I think it is yes so, don't quote me on that
0: so you could double resolve for plus two dice resist
3: yeah i can find out for you whilst we're talking about some other can things. i say
2: something and you find that out kylie because yeah. i want to talk about his special rule Go for it. so he's got a special rule that gives you a bit of a clue how they want you to play him where he gets the two plus bonus to courage when he's charging models with with terror and he also gets a two plus bonus against models of the blades of the dead so he's already got a courage of four you add two for that for the charging and the plus one for the army if you've got that and you're rocking a courage seven character with heroic strike so this guy's such good insurance against the troll that wanders into your lines because you can put him in be reasonably confident that he's well just be confident he's going in and you get enough friends in and he just strikes up and takes it out he's already got the fight four so getting to fight six or seven is not impossible I think he's a good real mid-range insurance for 55 points with nothing extra to buy. He's a really good captain, op- captain option.
0: Yeah, for sure. It harkens back to the previous edition when everything could strike. He sort of plays that role, but now, of course, not as many things can do that. But uh, yeah, he definitely does that where he just goes into a monster or something similar strike up. Yep too easy
2: and he's got the three might as well so even if you're doing it for multiple turns you really don't care on your 55 point model to to go up and be the one that strikes against the big hero the only issue i really have with him is that he's aesthetically he looks so different to all the other models so a ranger army absolutely if you're him as the ranger with part ministerial army Armor that would work well, but in the standard battle line, he always stands out as being like the lighter armor. He doesn't have the shield wall, he's got an, he's got an interesting combination.
0: Yeah, very unique look to him because he's got that vest, doesn't he? Sort of this surcoat, I guess it is.
2: Yeah, which I really like. I wish they had warriors with that armor.
0: Hmm, what I need to take a look at the vets. I don't know if they're similar to that at all or not. No, not really. Hmm, interesting. No, nah, yeah, yeah, really unique. <laughs>
2: Well, why don't we move on to the the Rangers of Gondor and the the other warriors from this list while Um, Kylie continues with the looking up?
0: Well, speaking of
3: that, I did just look it up. And as far as I can tell, it will stack. Because the the way the, the rule is worded for heroic resolve, it's friendly models that are within six inches of a hero that has declared a heroic resolve, including the hero themselves and then it goes on to say that if you're within a heroic resolve and resistant and you have resistant magic you throw two extra. So I can't see any legitimate reason why if you would have two heroes calling resolve mm. at the same time. I don't know. I, mean, rule
0: I, it either way. I I'd look at it the same as fury perhaps if you're Possibly. within range so of a hero doing that. Yeah, yeah. So perhaps not, Um, not sure. Yeah, it's probably not going to come. I wouldn't be surprised
2: that if that was ruled it doesn't stack.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah me neither, yeah. All right, I yeah. you
3: would be doing well if you've got two models with resolve overlapping.
0: Yeah, exactly, yeah. Wouldn't happen too often, you'd imagine. No. All right, rangers, rangers of Gondor. Onto the, the troops. The troops, yeah. So what do we have here? As far as I can tell, no difference at all. Can anyone uh, correct me it on that? No, no,
2: no, they're the same, and they were always very popular because this is just shoot three plus five four model with a spear option really good and it often got the the run in the gondor armies instead of the the warriors the minister with the bow because they're just superior bowmen and you get that five four as well so they're very useful models
0: yep absolutely they trade that defense but i don't think people were too worried about that it's it's really nice to have that fight four in this list um and of course yeah better better shots so yeah absolutely agreed they were they were generally considered the superior option i i don't know if the warriors of i take warriors of with both cuz i actually really like the defense 5 uh against enemy shooting it, it can be a bit of a trade off it's an interesting one
3: I actually think uh, taking the Warriors and Minotaur with bow, shield, and spear, the whole uh, trifecta is actually a really valid option now, because you can kind of stick in a handful of them with your, with your shield wall, and then when you get engaged, they can, you know, switch roles into a defense six spearman, which can be, you know, very, very useful, and shield
0: Yeah, the ability for them to get to defense six is really nice.
3: Plus, too, you, you'll often find, or at least I've found in a couple of games that I've played with my minister. if there's a couple of times where I haven't really wanted to move my big shield wall block and just having a handful of archers in that block that are with them you know adding to the shield wall can be really handy just to keep your opponent
2: honest there's definitely other options as well now but they're still pretty good and they're they are a weak line in the defense four but they're also pretty useful as well so i can't see them dropping off entirely i still think they, they're nice Nice choice. They do their job.
3: They do their job really well, especially when you are adding the extra little synergies with the uh, Faramir, Damrod, and Mudra.
2: Yep, and then the veterans, which weren't as popular, ha- um, haven't changed at all, have they? Uh, I'm not. No, m- they
3: haven't. They're exactly the same. Still the plus one fight value if they're within six inches of Boromir or Faramir. Or both if they happen to both be around and they still got that extra boost in courage for they don't have shield wall though which i think is a bit odd considering mm. that they're you know obviously veterans that have been fighting with the Minister for years and years but suddenly uh they've now forgotten how to lock shields together doesn't doesn't quite make sense to me but then again, the courage four going up to courage five uh, is very, very nice in the army, and having high courage models is uh, extremely useful when you're fighting at Spectres or other uh, spooky, scary things.
0: Yeah, I see them as a really niche option for a, a Boromir with banner army potentially. That's that's just how I view them.
3: Yeah, no, same, same.
0: Hmm. The extra courage is nice no, though.
2: They're not an obvious what go to, so you can get into fight five, yes, which is really good. Absolutely. Uh, but it's only a very s- small range. Oh, six inches is not too bad. But it's uh, three inches for Boromir's banner, am I right? Yes. In three inches, you're getting good there. Uh, their Courage is good, but I think they're more of a theme option, to be honest. I think they're the ones that you take for the really nice conversion opportunity. Yeah,
3: their Courage being good is the, is their only kind of major redeeming feature. It, it makes them good in a corner case. And when you have that corner case really useful when you don't you know, you kind of prefer uh, either a ranger of gondor or a tin can in the front line
2: it said this is my go-to in the army if i want to do a swap weapon option so you know how you've got the option to pay an extra point to put a hand weapon on these yeah. guys i see as a theme option to really do that because they're fighting so long maybe they lost a the sword and picked up an orc axe or something like that so you could give them some axes or some maces or a flail if you're particularly brave and have them go to town on that, you can do some really nice conversions.
0: Uh, we, we'll probably get to this in just a moment, but I'll put it in now. Uh, the Banner of Minas Tirith's bonus fight value effect is actually six inches.
3: Whoa, 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 whoa. Mm-hmm. Get
0: out, get out, get <laughs> out, Boromir.
3: Well, si- since we're there... Look, we might as well, we're, we're we might as well. ...about the Banner of Minas Tirith. <laughs> We have to talk about the guy that holds it. So, Matt, while I pick up my jaw from the floor, would you like to run us through Boromir, Captain of the White Tower?
0: Let's do it. Big bad bozza. Uh, his profile remains basically the same. Uh, fight 6, Strength 4, Defense 6, 3 attacks, 3 wounds, Courage 6, 6 might, oh, that's 6 might, 3 will and three fate points. And, Kylie, have, have you finished reading the Banner of Minas Tirith rule, just to double check? That is so busted. <laughs> oh my god, that, that thing is redonkulous. I think it dropped a few points too, didn't it? Wasn't it 50 before?
3: It was 50, now yeah. it's 10 points cheaper, and it does that? I
2: think is cheaper as well. He
3: yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. he's, like, the whole kit, the whole buff out the wazer, look at me, I'm Captain of the White Tower with big wavy banner, 250 points is now 50 points bloody cheaper
0: (laughs) i think uh correct me if i'm wrong i think he was 180 with the shield before and like 230 with the banner something like that
3: 235 on horse with shield banner he's now for the same thing, two hundred and
0: fifteen.
3: Fifteen, and now you can actually take the
0: shield. Yes. Like yep. he. Oh. So oh, this so is just gross. to clear up this with is... our with our listeners, uh, I'll I'll read through oh the banner God. of Minas Tirith. So the banner of Minas Tirith, which costs forty points for Boromir to take, is a banner with a range of six inches. Additionally, what? yeah, 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 six inch range banner. Did, did you? Almost you you didn't even didn't read it, did you? <laughs>
3: I, I saw the, the plus one five later. <laughs> six, I, I totally missed the actual banner being seen.
0: The banner six, <laughs> has a oh range of six inches. Additionally... Boromir and all friendly Gondor warrior models, so that does have to be warriors, very important, within 6 inches of this banner, gain a plus 1 bonus to their fight value. Note, this is cumulative with other bonuses to a model's fight value, and also, Boromir suffers no penalties for carrying the banner, however, he may not carry it if he's also carrying a lance. So, I think in the past, the, the choice between lance and banner was quite tricky, I think you take the banner now. I think that is a really nice I banner. So. Yeah.
2: Such a nice banner as well. Yeah. Oh
3: my god. That thing is ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> are you are you understanding me, Matt? I
0: am fully understanding you, Kylie.
3: This is probably the best forty points you could ever spend on anything in the <laughs> game ever. Wow, okay. <laughs>
0: all right all right right. hold up hold up (laughs)
3: up. (laughs) what
0: about the crown of mobile i'm hark yes i was about to say i'm harking back to the previous episode
3: (laughs) belay that belay that this is a better walker option i did not realize that this is a That's, that's ridiculous six inch why would they make it six inches
0: That banner banner means that you're going to get a 12-inch sort of line, presuming you have Boromion Horse. That's, you know, a fairly big area. Fairly big. And if you've got your Warriors of Minas Tirith, they're fight four. And if you've got your Osgiliath Vets, they're fight five. And if you've got a number of other troop options, they are also fight five. So
3: I don't know. Maybe your Guards at the Fountain Court. Maybe your
0: Citadel Guard. Maybe your Pikemen from Dol Amroth. Uh, Very, very (laughs) nice banner. Let's have a quick look. What else has Boromir got? He's got the Horn of Gondor, as before. Uh, Yeah, let's
3: not forget about that. Yeah, yeah,
0: very nice war gear option as well. And this one's free, Kylie, even better. Uh, Boromir can blow the horn at the start of a fight if he's outnumbered by two to one or more. The enemy combatant in the fight with the highest courage value must take a courage test. If the test is passed, you just fight the combat as normal. But if it's failed, Boromir automatically wins and is able to strike blows. So that's pretty darn great isn't it i love when uh you don't have to roll dice to win fights yes
2: i also love that the enemy listens to the horn and go wait a second that sounds like the horn of gondor lose the fight quickly and they hear (laughs) other horns throughout and just go don't worry that's just one plus courage ignore that
0: one let's just win that fight that's just a normal old horn that's fine oh no the horn of gondor (laughs) what do we do die apparently um boromir's heroic actions heroic strike strike heroic strength which eh. heroic defense yes Yes, no, very that, nice.
1: That,
3: that is where I draw the line. Yep, Right yep, yep. defense with that banner is no, no,
0: no. Do, do you That's... know how long Boromir can hold out for? Six
3: turns, Matt. Yeah. He can be there for guaranteed six to seven if you have priority. Yep, yep. Seven turns, Matt. <laughs> he can be there being the biggest pain in the ass that ever pained an ass.
2: <laughs> Kylie's.
0: Yep. Kylie's uh, Kylie's lost it. I love it.
2: <laughs> we broke Kylie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's pretty good. I want to take him again. Make it he's six good. Six inches. Why? Oh, he's trying to compete with Imrahil, I... who has got like his twelve-inch effect.
3: With the shit defensive. Why?
2: Oh, why not? Might as well.
3: I want to go home, Matt. <laughs>
0: On an unrelated oh note, God. on an unrelated note, I uh, I can see Boromir of Gondor with the banner in his blister from where I'm sitting right now, and I might have to break that open pretty soon and uh, get him painted up.
3: No, 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 no! It's you broke it open yesterday, or you're gonna make a time <laughs> machine to go back in time to break it open and put it together and paint it. Because, yeah, I, re- I really should have now taken him
0: to um... the bottom
3: of my painting list to the, <laughs> to top, the top of my painting <laughs>
0: list. I really should have taken him to cot. I wish I had. Oh well, that's Boromir. Um. What else have we got? We've got his dad. We've got his dad, Denethor. What does Denethor do? <laughs> Who Jeremy? cares about Denethor? Jer- <laughs> you have a freaking arm here. <laughs> yeah, I'll, Jeremy, I'll take tell over Denethor, us, tell us about Denethor.
2: Kylie doesn't care about Denethor. <laughs> Denethor is a dirt cheap hero, thirty five points, and he's guaranteed to be a leader unless you get Aragorn as well. So he's got this really interesting synergy. For 35 points, he's also got a really good stat line of Fight 5, Strength 4, Defense 5, 2 Attacks, 2 Wounds, Courage 5, and 3 Will. No Fate or No Might really does hurt him quite a bit. He's got a sword, he's got armor, but... He's got the broken mind rule, which is to courage test at the start of every turn before priority. And if you pass, all is fine. Keep in mind, you've got courage five. You've also got the courage bonus potentially. So, and three will, you're probably not failing very often. But if you fail, you're controlled by the opposing player and friendly models can't attack him. But he can attack your guys and kill your own guys. So it can be reasonably tough if that happens. Interestingly enough, though, if he's controlled by the evil player, the evil player can't strike him either. So it keeps him alive. If Borom is in the army, Denethor automatically passes while Borom is alive. If Borom is slain, Denethor automatically fails.
0: Yeah, I found that uh, Denethor with his courage tests in the previous edition... I was failing it every now and then. It would happen, you know, especially with a Ringwraith around. He'd be Courage 4. Uh, he might get sap willed or he might have spells cast on him. I'm, I have not failed a single Broken Mind test in the new edition. And that's, I haven't taken him with Denethor or anything like that. Sorry, I haven't taken Denethor with Boromir. So when you take Boromir as well, he automatically passes the Courage test. So the Courage 6 from the army bonus and the 3 will points, it's just really hard for him to fail. He just doesn't do it. I used to bodyguard him, stuck a few guys around, make sure that I'm not too worried about it, especially defense seven guys, so that he would have a hard time killing my own guys. Now, I don't even care. I just put him behind my lines, and, and he just passes without a problem. He's been she-lobbed. <laughs> he did... Wait, is he the same amount of points? know. Uh, I think he's five he up, more. Uh, five. five more, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, not quite she lob level. <laughs> but yeah. No,
2: just the fact that... The rule has been destroyed by the upgrades to the will and the courage and stuff like that yeah it yeah. used to be one that you actually worried like every every few turns he would fail. Now it's just, it's in there as a, as a once in a million.
3: Honestly, with how the game is shaping up now, the fact that he's forced to be a lead now is a massive detriment. Two-wound hero with no fate, even if you protect him in the back of the board, you get a decent hero into him, he's going down. Mm. I, I, I really don't like putting a two-wound, one-fate hero as my leader, let alone a two-wound, no-fate hero as my leader. That just—he feels really, really fragile. Well, um, it's interesting.
0: Um, it's interesting that you bring that up because I think I'm just going to quickly move on to the next model, which
3: I knew you were going to
0: yep, say this. Yep, yep. Which uh, kind of like d- d- makes you not mind it too much. And that model is a new one called huron the Tall, Warden of the Keys. He is eighty points. He is a hero of valor. And, okay, look, I'll get to his amazing special rule last. We'll go through his profile. So he is fight five, strength four, defense six, two attacks, two wounds, courage five, three might, one will, one fate. So essentially, captain level with an extra bit of fight and courage. But where he gets really good is his sword. He has a master forged hand and a half sword called the Warden's Sword, which of course is the plus one to wound. Very, very nice, immediate threat. A lot of opponents will find him threatening and will try and stop him, and may or may not be successful. Uh, Especially because he does of course have Heroic Strike, as well as Heroic Resolve and Heroic Strength. The fact that I asked about Heroic Resolve earlier really shows that he's not the kind of character that you probably want to be using Heroic Resolve with him. You'd rather uh, have him in combat. He can take a horse, so he's got that charge bonuses. He can do a lot of damage when he charges in. He has two special rules. In Defense of the King is the first one. Whilst he is within 3 inches of either Denethor or Aragorn King Elessar, Huron gains the Fearless special rule and may re-roll a single d6 when making a dual roll. Now, Courage 5, Courage 6 with the army bonus. He doesn't worry about Courage too much. Fearless, while nice, is not that great, but... The uh, extra reroll, especially if you have a banner around as well, he can potentially be uh, essentially five attacks charging in uh, with three might points. is very hard to stop. So it's really nice if you can get Denethor or Aragorn around him. Finally, we come to
2: this... Fanta- and he's 80 points. You don't care if you've got Denethor because you spent nothing on your leader. So
0: Exactly. And in addition, in addition to all of that, he gets the line of command special rule. And this one, I think, is really cool. And I'd like to see perhaps in the future some some more rules like this where it's essentially points denial so if the leader of your army is a Gondor hero then whilst Huron the tall is alive and on the battlefield your opponent cannot score victory points for slaying the enemy leader so when you've got Denethor there and Huron as well your opponent essentially needs to kill both of them to get those victory points and most scenarios have victory points for slaying the enemy leader so really cool special rule I found it was really fun Running Denethor and Huron together because it sort of split your opponent's focus. It made them not entirely sure who to go after. And of course, Huron, very threatening. If your opponent does go after them, Denethor ends up being really safe. Like, nothing much happens to him. So, and, he, and he's, you know, fairly easy to hide. And then if your opponent decides to just throw his hands up and say, well, bugger it all, I don't want to go after either of them, then you can keep Denethor around Huron and you get those extra rerolls as well. So really cool combination. I love these two models together.
3: He, he was a model built for, for Denethor, I, I, I feel, in, in a way. But I don't particularly mind that, especially because, yes, his damage output is absolutely redonkulous. Yes, that is the technical term for it. Uh, at fight 5 with plus 1 to wound and 3 might and stuff. But defensively, with only a defensive 6, two, 2 wounds, 1 fate, that's that's beatable. That It is possible to chunk through those stats with, you know, well, not, I wouldn't say relative ease, but a concentrated effort from even just a single spellcaster and a decent hero can bring him down. I took down Huron with just a handful of war wargriders and the Witch King just going, I'm just going to throw one mana spells at you every turn, you know, use my crown to to re-roll into, you know, a four, five, or a six, and just wait for for your will to run out and your might points to run out. And eventually you can take him down because defense six, you know, it's not... It's not the, you know, line of defense, I can't be killed. And I think that's what makes him a really well-designed character. Yes, he has some great tools to him, but you need to know how to use those tools and know how to back him up because if he gets trapped and surrounded, if he gets isolated, it can be brought down with relative ease.
2: I like that your relative ease is a couple of Wild Riders and the Witch King. I feel like a couple of Wild Riders and the Witch King can pretty much take down anyone.
3: I didn't use the Witch King combat at this point because my witch king was down to about seven wheels he was only throwing one dice spell so he's purely support he was out of might to the witch king at this point so it was even a budget wraith will will do the job of of the witch king in that scenario yeah
0: 100% agreed i i think i lost huron in probably every single game i've played with him um <laughs> he, he does die <laughs> very quickly and he's... Well, in my army in particular, he was very much a target because he was my biggest damage output. So it's really not that surprising. But yeah, defense 6, 2 wounds, 1 fate not that hardy
3: i feel like he he's the kind of character that's a really good um foil or sidearm to to another big hero i feel like he'd be really good with boromir or even a gandalf you know have have the big hero take all the heat and all the all the enemy uh you know spellcraft and tricks and resources and they draw all the big nasty stuff whilst hearing you know just quietly you know then hits combat and goes right, I'm just going to knock out a whole bunch of dudes here and really put pressure on you.
0: Yep, definitely, definitely. I think that's exactly what you should be using him as. I actually think you're right that, you know, he was written with Denethor in mind, but the fact that he gets those same rules with Aragorn and also the uh, line of command works with any Gondor hero, notably not Gandalf, actually, I'm realizing right now. Dang. Okay, that's interesting. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, other Gondor heroes... You know, you don't necessarily need to take Denethor with him, is, is the takeaway from that, I think. You, you want another threat. No,
3: Agreed, agreed.
0: All right, on to our next profile. Let's take a quick gander at the Knight of the White Tower.
3: Oh, in terms of changes to an old profile, for better or worse, uh, this in this case, better... This is probably one of the most influential changes to a single profile, I think, in the game. This changes yes. the dynamic of the model completely and changes the dynamic of the army completely since... Oh, Jeremy, take it away. Take it away. I, I, okay,
2: the um, Knight of the White Tower has always been a fantastic-looking model, but it's one that people left in the figure case and didn't take out. No more. You've got a hero of Fortitude for 40, uh, 60 points, Sorry, which... Uh, a fair price. Fight five, which is good. Strength four, defense six, two wounds, two attacks, courage four, two, one, one. Standard captain affair with a plus one fight value. He's got heavy armor, a dagger, and the white sword of Gondor. Interesting they put the dagger in there as well, so it sounds like he can go single-handed. But the white sword of Gondor means that he's got a two-handed sword, And when strikes are made with this weapon, they have the mighty blow special rule. So you're doubling up wounds already, which is fantastic for monster hunting, for hero hunting, for anything with multiple wounds. Half trolls, they're going to be quarter trolls with him around. It's good fun. He's got heroic strike. So two points of might, nothing to write home about, but strikes are really valuable now. And to start with base fight five means you can take on big heroes if you want. He's also got one of the most fantastic special rules for a two-handed weapon in that if he rolls a natural six, so an unmodified six in the duel, he does not apply the penalty for using a two-handed weapon. So that's fantastic. So you just roll a six with him, and his two-handed weapon attacks normally. This is really good because it happens quite a lot because you've probably got a banner near him. You've got the two attacks, so you've got roughly three dice with a chance of getting a single six, and then you're fine. You're laughing. You've got your two wounds. He can do some serious damage, and he's got his specific role. He's there to go and take on a big thing, that your shield wall can't.
0: Yeah, it's some fantastic buffs for the Knight of the White Tower here. I believe five points cheaper, an extra point of might, and yeah, that uh, the sixes staying a six on a natural roll with his White Sword of Gondor. Really fantastic. Glad he retained the strike because, yep, as Jeremy says, very uh, important option for Gondor to have to actually take on those big things. There's, there's really not that many things in the list that can actually do that. Uh, And certainly not many as cheap as the Knight of the White Tower. For only 60 points, uh, only slightly more expensive than a captain. He's just really, really good value.
2: You can take a few of them if you really want as well. So you can get a fair bit of strikes.
0: Yeah, I think running two of them would be fantastic. I think uh, two of them floating around would be really scary for your opponent.
3: What I absolutely love about the Knight of the White Tower is... How he changes the dynamic of a shield wall. In particular, if you're running like an Aragorn or a Huron with lots of high mobility and they kind of like run out towards a flank and stuff, you kind of don't really have a hero that kind of can sit in the middle of your line and just go, I am going to be the guy that holds the middle. Yes, captains have had that role in the past and even to a lesser extent in the new edition, but what the Knight of the White Tower really does is he makes your opponent second guess whether they want to commit their big hero to the front of your line or more importantly a troll. Trolls in particular or any model on a 40 or 60 uh, millimeter base really doesn't quite really want to go into a shield wall situation. Because they get bogged down, They it becomes hard for them to move around. And when you've got a model that's on a 25 that can able to you know zip into those little combats that starts to break up a little bit can really pressure those big you know, trolls or Gundabad trolls and apply a pinpoint pressure whereas other heroes would struggle to get into that position in the first place and it can really be a way to kind of threat with your shield wall without having to commit your big beat stick like a Boromir or a Faromir into that situation and instead have them do the outflank and the hammer and anvil tactic. It makes your, arm, your, your anvil and your armor very, very uh, potent and the ability to hit back when needed.
0: Yeah, and I found he also got underestimated a lot as well, at least uh, in the games that I've played. Often, you know, your opponent will look at a Boromir, a Huron... An Aragorn, something along those lines. And then the Knight of the White Tower is just sort of creeping around back there, and he can go in and take out a big thing pretty comfortably at, on, at times.
3: Yeah, he can. I think he's one of those heroes that you really do want to back him up, though. You don't want to send him in solo into a big thing. I think you want to get a friend there with a couple of spear supports. Get your dice pool into that six or seven attacks range, and then where you're comfortable of, you know, getting the six to win the combat. But most definitely, he's a really good way of applying pressure in a spot where you not normally would be able to apply pressure. And couple him with a model like Gandalf, who can go boom, fortify spirit, have an extra two will points every time a spell comes at you. Suddenly, ring wraiths and spellcasters are going to have trouble at dealing with him by transfixing or pulling him out of line and then ganking him because he just has that defense up.
0: Yeah, I'd go even further than that. I'd say you generally want to be trapping models when you throw the Knight of the White Tower in. You want a lot of support because you know he's going to do a lot of damage, but you really got to win that fight.
3: Yeah,
2: 100%. You throw everyone in with him, and you can because he's with your infantry. He's got that small base. you pretty easy to get a trap. You throw him into a troll chieftain or a mortar troll or Troll or a dragon or anything like that, that has a really good go at them.
0: For sure. So, Knight of the White Tower, from one cheap hero to another that I think is very useful. Let's have a look at Iralas, one of the new Gondor heroes. So, Iralas, Captain yeah. of the Guard, uh, he comes in at 65 points. He's a hero of fortitude. Uh, he's got Fight 5, which, as we know, is very nice. Nice to have a Fight 5 hero. Uh, strength 4, Defense 6. Two attacks, two wounds, courage four, three might, one will, and one fate. Very similar looking profile to the Knight of the White Tower with that extra might point. Uh, However, he takes a different look at this kind of hero. He is a heroic march and heroic defense kind of hero, with bodyguard, as he is a citadel guard captain, and the defend the white city special rule. Iralas may use the shielding special rule, even though he is not armed with a shield. If he elects to shield and wins the ensuing fight, he may make a single Strength 4 strike against one enemy model from the same fight. So, Oaken Shield 2.0. This
3: is by far one of my favorite favorite models in the minister of army list he is such a well-designed character he is a fun character to use and he can be such a pain in the proverbial ass if he is left unchecked and played correctly he is absolutely fantastic yeah he's an obstacle and he
0: looks good as well i i like him because he looks kind of (laughs) ugly like in a good way you know what i mean (laughs) yeah like his face i mean Uh,
3: i looks yeah his face is a little bit nicer than that jeremy
0: oh i don't mean i'm i mean like um i i think the sculpt is good i think like he's meant to be ugly like an ugly kind of dude sure yep yeah i i like it (laughs) they could have just stuck the helm on him but no they took it off and they showed off Uh, and i think uh i haven't seen the movies in a while but I think he looks a lot like the guy that was, um, talking to Denethor in Faramir's, uh, pyre chamber.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah. What I, what I really love about Irilas is he's kind of the, the, the gold standard for what I like to call now, and I'm calling a new phrase here, so get out your notebook and pen. I'm writing,
2: I'm writing. Popcorn. All right. It
3: It is called the Intercept Hero. Oh Intercept. The Interceptor. Interceptor. Intercept hero. Basically, it's a decent hero with heroic defense. Uh, Elfhelm is another hero that I absolutely uh, love to bits, but has heroic defense. And even to add a pinch, Derbers is another great intercept hero that is really useful at running into enemy big things like Barogs, Dragons, Aragorns, Azogs, any sort of those crazy scary heroes, and just stall them for turns. Make them they're trying trying to get away from this hero or try and pin them down or try and take them out because heroic defense is such a beautiful addition to the game and when coupled with uh stats and special rules like this it can be really frustrating to have to deal with there's three might with defense and the ability to shield with the ability to occasionally get a chip back in with that strength four strike, it's so frustrating to have to play again.
0: Yeah, I just think of him as ideal for taking on a uh, enemy hero on horse because you do the shield and then you take out their horse with that single strike. Yeah, a good idea.
3: And when you have heroic defense up too, you you're not afraid of taking a hit as well. Yeah, and that ability to go from two attacks to four attacks to win a combat—that's a pretty significant jump, and it's not one that. You sh- that should be sniffed at as well just that fact alone that extra two dice it doesn't seem like much at first especially if you're fighting against something that's high fight but if the thing you're fighting against is high fight say like a haldir even at times uh an unsupported three attack hero like a Gothmog or um, um Arathorn or something like that that extra attack more than often than not is actually going to help you win the fight so you sometimes even when you're at a might, you'll find that Irelast will just go into those heroes' defense up, and then if they're lucky, get that strength for striking, or if you have might still available, you know, knock out that horse or chip in a wound where you wouldn't have otherwise expected it.
0: Yeah, very cool hero, and March is nice as well.
3: Oh, March is fantastic one. It's just it's kind of the icing or the cherry on top of the the beautiful cake that is Irelast.
0: All right, so moving right along to another Citadel Guard hero, we have barragond and barragond Has remained very similar. Uh, He's gone up by 5 points, so he's now 30 points. Is that right? I think he was 25 before. Yep. Uh, He's a minor hero, so in the same vein as Damrod, as we mentioned earlier. Only leading 6 troops. But nice for one of those little half-warband drops with a number of Citadel Guard archers, maybe. Something along those lines. He has heroic accuracy, which, sure... Probably not what you're going to use your single might point on, but the, you have that option. And you can still take a horse for only five points, which is pretty nice. And of course, yeah, bodyguard. Overall,
3: bodyguard on a hero. I've said it once, I'll say it again. Bodyguard is amazing. Sticking on a hero and you have recipe for success.
0: Have you said that um, exact sentence before? That's amazing.
1: Possibly.
3: Possibly. <laughs> I know I've said bodyguard is amazing and.
0: You definitely I said that. I stand by that. Yeah, but yeah.
3: I've pretty much always ran Baragon mounted, so I've always, you know, been forking out the thirty-one points for it to slap on the wrist to go down to a minor hero. I personally am not going to feel the effects of it because I only ever run him with like small little hit squads of like, you know, three other Citadel guard mounted on a horse with him. Um, but the extra four points is kind of here nor there with the state of the game. It's not going to change anything drastically. He's a solid choice. There's a reason why every single Gondor army that ever existed takes him, and I can't see why that would
0: change now. Yep, Bodyguard Heroes OP. Just ridiculous.
3: Like, they're just,
2: they're that good. So many more options. So many more options now. He's not, he's not auto take. He's not, he's very close. but he's good.
0: Very close. <laughs> he's very still close really good.
2: He's also really easy to kill. The one wound means that you can take him down with most of your really one-shot snipery stuff. So, as a, as playing in a list, I'll seriously consider leaving him at home.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's fair enough. Like, you definitely don't need to take him. Uh, I think before when people were writing, like, spam, Gondor lists, he was obviously an auto-take in that situation, because he really, him and Damrod were, and Denethor were the ones that were letting you get to those massive numbers, and now you don't need to do that, because you can take the bigger heroes, and they can just lead more troops, so the, the niche that he filled earlier is gone, but he, he's just a nice little drop, and I, I like using him, um, even if you just took him alone, potentially, as an extra... In the same way that you might take Pippin, for instance, just as an extra Warband drop, he's pretty nice. Um, and, you know, if you're careful with him, what, what do you really care if he dies, you know? Like, it's 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 just not that big of a deal. It's it's nice, I think, for the extra drop.
3: He's just so useful to just outride to the edges of the table and just have him keep an objective around like yeah. if you're careful with your with your Aragon or your Boromir and Denethor, whoever whomever may be your leader, he is so beneficial when you hit late game, just because bodyguard is really that good. And when you throw an auto stand fast on it, it, it just becomes it just hits another level.
0: He actually nearly won me a game recently um, against Henry, who had his dwarves, because I broke and all my other heroes were in a situation where they were outnumbering Henry's dwarves on a different flank. And Beragon was getting outnumbered on my flank. But because I had the bodyguard, I was able to keep everyone around and just tie up these bigger numbers on my side. Uh, And, uh, you know, obviously I lost that flank, but I was able to win on the the bigger flank, the more important one. So uh, I I still lost that game, but only just. It was a very close one. So I think he definitely has his uses. And yeah, bodyguard heroes, man. like love bodyguard heroes.
3: Moving along now to another guard. We have Peregrine Took. He's still 25 points and he is still an independent hero, but what's really cool about him now is you can stick him in other heroes' warbands.
2: Yeah, that's a huge change.
3: It is pretty significant. Peregrine, he has a very niche kind of spot in the Gondor army list. He's the only model with resistant magic, and he's the only model with an Elven cloak, which gives him really kind of uh, corner case uses. His heroic actions aren't that great. He only has heroic defense. But that said, if you're on a far left flank, uh have him with the elven cloak hiding behind like a tree or a wall or a corner of a building. It can be that you know, one guy holding an objective that no one can really touch. And if a model does sneak through, like a cavalry model and goes in and charges him, he can heroic defense it up, push them away, and continue to hold that objective. And possibly even if he has a couple of mates around, you know, find a way of striking back and hitting his opponent. The other thing I I really, really, really love about Pippin is that resistant to magic. It can be such a really stole way of dealing with uh AoE spellcasters, particularly Nature's Wrath. It can be just a thorn in your opponent's side if you just have Pippin sitting up near the front and they throw a wrath that they think they've they've got through, and suddenly a resistant magic proc comes off and poof the wrath disappears.
2: Sounds good in all that case, but it often dies to to almost anything. Yes, you got the heroic defense, but still only one sticks through, and you got a good chance to knock him out. Yeah, two fate. That's handy. But you don't see him a whole lot. I think it's just down to so many other choices as well. And he can't be a frontline fighter, really. So he, he's there as a, an objective holder, which you've got so much other stuff in the Gondor list that he, he's got an interesting place. You can definitely take him. And if you took a Gandalf the White, you'd probably throw him in that warband and have some fun. But he's definitely along these lines of. It, He's probably pretty low down in your choices.
0: Yeah, I think he's just slightly too expensive. I, I think if he was if he was fifteen, he'd be fantastic value. If he's twenty, he'd be about right. Uh, I think twenty five is maybe just a little bit too expensive.
3: I agree entirely, Matt. He has he has a his points are a bit off, but who knows? Maybe later on, he might get a unique place in the legendary legion where maybe he gets to. You know, sit up with Gandalf and hang around um, with him on his horse, Ooh. or maybe he gets an extra little special rule or interaction that's really cool with like Denethor or Baragon or something later on in the Legendary Legion, and maybe that might be the way he becomes useful. Nice, let's hope so. Don't think so. Yeah.
2: No, because you've just got the book. If you, this was the time to do it,
0: you're right. Actually, it's really it's weird that they didn't go with a Legendary Legion that has any, like, Warriors of Minas Tirith or, or any of the uh, Serial Guard or anything like that. It's kind of strange in, in the Gondor book. Hmm, interesting choice.
3: Uh, I do have a feeling that there might be a Siege one coming out later, and I've got I've got this, slight like, feeling that there might be another kind of, not Gondor supplement, but a supplement that will involve Gondor, such as, like, a Sacking of the skillet, some force or something like that, and they'll... Sneakily throw in a, a, a little um, Legendary Legion in there for, like, the defense of the ministeric Walls with Genov, the White, Barragond and Pippin.
2: Marblung. Please, Marblung. Yeah, he'd be cool.
0: He's just another damn rod, though, surely. What else is he going to do? Like,
2: Eilus, and we've got, um, like, Hurin, <laughs> and all these other guys that were just in the books on, like, one line. Why can't we have our one-line Marblung as
0: well? Yeah, no, I agree. Definitely. Got to get Marblung in there so we come to our last couple of profiles and these are some pretty easy ones because they've changed very little. Uh, we've got the Citadel guard at nine points, uh, automatically has a spear now and you can swap it for a longbow for one point. So I think, is that one point cheaper than they were? Is that, I know it's exactly the same. It's exactly the the same.
1: They
3: they were, yes, light nerf that they got was their horses. Now seven points instead of six points. Mm hmm. So you're paying an extra one point for the cavalry model. Honestly, that's fair since bodyguard is that good and bodyguard on horses is that good. So honestly, I'll take the the, the slight points hit for uh, taking a cavalry version of them. Yeah, the other
0: uh, the other disadvantage is uh, something that Jeremy obviously came across straight away. Isn't that right, Jeremy?
2: Yeah, these are my favorite models and I went to all the effort to convert up Uh, The cavalry models with spear and bow and now you have to do a swap They're one of the few models in the range. You actually have to swap which I found very interesting. Like I don't, I don't really know why. Even if you could just save the spear for when they get dismounted, it's still something. But yeah, it's made my models redundant. And I have to go and change them.
0: Yeah, which which is unfortunate. And and I also have to. I have some converted with bow and spear, so I'll have to change those as well. But yeah, I, I don't know. Not sure why they yeah. did that. I think maybe it was I just mean... to to keep in line with what was in the blisters. But yeah, I don't know. Strange one.
2: Still got profiles and models. Don't actually have like reavers are still been supported the whole way through so i don't know it's not consistent
0: mm-hmm. uh, and moving on from the citadel guard we have our last profile in the book the guard of the fountain court an absolute staple for minas tirith uh they come in at 10 points with heavy armor dagger and spear their fight four. their defense six they have bodyguard and when you give them a shield, they're defense 7. So you have your troops that are always defense 7 in Minas Tirith. You can give them a banner. Oh, there's another weird one. You can swap the spear for a banner for 25 points. Not even for 24. They don't even give you the, the point back for the spear. Huh, that's, a, that's another weird one. Outrage. <laughs> Banners on
3: bodyguard models is absolutely ridiculous, so I will take that one point, I will place it in my pocket and keep it for a rainy day, and continue to use banners on bodyguard truths, because yes... They really are that good.
0: Yeah, I don't think uh, there's anything. Yeah, I I don't think there's much to say about Guard of the Fountain Court that we probably haven't said before in a previous podcast. They're just a really solid troop. Fight for defense this seven. Oh Yeah, yeah, yeah guard. I know. Yeah, just... yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. They're so
3: just use, use the fight for staple there. You always want a handful of either one of them or both in your army. They're reliable. They do their job freaking well. And you'd be a fool not to pick up a blister of them.
0: Yep, for sure. So that is No Line Enemy. And we'll be right back with our next segment.
2: Welcome back. The keen listeners amongst us might realise that there is a voice missing, and it's clearly not mine. Kylie, who's missing?
3: Well, it's not me, so by the process of elimination, it has mm. to be David. David's, <laughs> David's missing. He's, he's not here anymore.
2: Yeah, David's I not know. here.
3: It's uh poor loss.
2: Yep. Matt's had to sleep, I believe. It's been a long episode so far, so... He will be probably won't be back with us for the rest of this episode. But Kylie, I think we'll do an okay job holding the fort while he's gone.
3: Yeah, we should be all right. You know, Matt works nine to five now, so you know, he's, yeah, he's he's he's, he's got to go to bed at a reasonable hour.
2: Works nine to five, sleeps five thirty to eight thirty. Yep, it's a it's a life.
3: Something like that. Yeah. Yep.
2: Now this segment is keep it secret, keep it safe. Our tactics episode. Kylie, can you give us an overview of the standard basic ordinary vanilla Gondor tactics?
3: Well, in terms of standard vanilla basic ordinary tactics, I think the good old hammer and anvil is probably a classic staple of the uh the Gondorians and kind of what they're really good at like doing and just you know having a solid you know Defense seven wall, which you just, you know, have cavalry hit the side of and just completely uh, obliterate.
2: Yeah, the hammer and anvil is definitely a tactic that you want to play with that. So basically standing forward, finding a nice area that you can defend, bait the enemy towards you and then smack them at either a flank or the rear or any part that feels weak. Sometimes your cavalry jacks between your lines and helps you out, but it's that combined arms force and it's it's quite hard to match when it's played well because it's really very good at reacting. Yeah,
3: yeah, it was one of, like, kind of the saving graces of uh, Gondor is just their reliability, you know, having really, you know, tough to to, to take down troops, you know, Defense 7 and on, on most of your army. Then you have decent, good archery and rangers and Citadel Guard, and then you've also got good courage in there as well with some um, decent, um, high-courage leaders. So you don't run away at all. and, and Kind of like when I think of Gondor in that kind of respect is they're not particularly excel at any one area, but they're really good across the board. They're just, they, they're good at pretty much everything that no, they do. They're not fantastic or great or, you know, outshine everything else, but they're just solid. And I think that's probably the one word that you could probably use to describe Gondor is they're just solid.
2: Very true. Now, have you noticed that a lot of people play the, almost the horde Gondor tactics where they, 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 stock up on the cheapest heroes they can find, take as many high defense troops as they can find, back them up with Rangers or some sort of archers, maybe Citadel Guard, and basically just swarm. Is that something that you've encountered or do you think that's going out of vogue?
3: Um, I still encounter a fair bit, especially with the uh, the Denethor warbands in there because the, just, you know, 35 points for a 15, you know, model warband is, you know, you know, it's pretty damn good value. But I... I hope that Swarm or Flood Gondor is going to kind of come out of fashion because I don't believe they're as potent as they used to be, but I still think that there's a lot of people out there that will play it and are going to use it, although it won't be as effective as before since a couple of the minor heroes that were really good at getting heaps of bodies on the table such as Damrod and Baragond have gone you know down to minor heroes and you know lost half their warbands, but that said 20 points 30 points for an extra six models in your army is still pretty damn dirt cheap
2: very true very true so I think for the standard Gondor tactic I guess is the the wait do a bit of shooting similar to the olds we talked about in the previous episode the shooting for Gondor is probably more likely just to be an annoyance rather than a hugely offensive tactic uh, some of the legendary legions it might change a bit but you you soften it a little bit Force the enemy towards you, come into your anvil, your your wall of defense seven guys. Hopefully they're backed up by fight four because there's so much fight four with spears in the army. So you're running at fight four across the board, maybe fight five with Boromir's dancing around. And you've got some fantastic hard-hitting cavalry, so you use those to do most of your damage because your your infantry itself doesn't hit particularly hard. It grinds, It grinds well, but it's not particularly offensive. So you need something in there that's going to do the work. Either if you're all infantry, it's mass traps and the heroes doing the work, or it's the cavalry, which is a really good way of doing it. You don't have any monsters without allying, so you don't have that to to break lines. Okay, Kylie, now I have a question for you. How would you play the offensive Gondor army? So this is an army I'm... Let's hypothetically, I'm a player that wants to basically just run at the enemy as fast as possible and get into grips in combat. But I really like the look of Gondor. I love the tin can armor. I like the the black and white or whatever color I've added into them. And I want to play Gondor, but I want to play aggressive. What would I do?
3: Well, knights are your point of call there. I think uh, the Gondorian knights are just really, really solid for especially what you pay for. And what you get, 14 points isn't that expensive for cavalry troops. And to get alliance and defense six off that is a pretty good deal. Plus, a lot of the heroes that you can have uh, to lead those blocks of knights, such as Aragorn, Boromir, and particularly Faramir, are really, really good options to kind of create those kind of opportunities of you know just going in and dealing damage. And on top of that as well, since a lot of the um, Gondor heroes now, such as, I think, Ingold. Um, I'm f- I feel uh, Madril and basic captains have march. So if you're running like a decent block of uh, infantry with that as well, you can just march them straight at your opponent's face and do pretty well.
2: Do you think that could be successful?
3: Yeah, I think Um, like as we were talking about before with like the hammer and anvil tactics, if you up your cavalry count and, you know, add a bit more, you know, Citadel Guard in there as well, even Bormir with the banner can be very useful. Just upping the cavalry... F- our cavalry of portion of your army can just add a little bit more lethality to your army in terms of their ability to really push um damage and deal wounds to your opponent and kind of on that as well the big heroes such as um Boromir and Aragorn are really really good ways of just really messing with your opponent cycle psycho- like psychologically like Aragorn is an absolute beast and Boromir just the fact that he has six might and can pretty much charge anything and have a pretty damn good chance of just going, right, I'm taking you off the board, here's five points of might go away. And that, coupled with the large cavalry contingent, even at fight three, can be very, very devastating.
2: Mm, true, true. Uh, what about if I wanted to play a Gandalf the White, um, infantry, walls of Minas Tirith type force? So Gandalf, Minas Tirith, warriors, a smattering of Citadel Guard and Citadel Guard type heroes. What would I do there? Maybe a Pippin or a Baragon. Or... Gandalf, the
3: White is one of the, the the models in the list that I haven't really quite worked out yet. I've kind of I kind of know where Boromir and Aragorn sit in terms of the list, and it's more it's more I think as an army how they um, uh, position themselves um, against every other kind of unit and model in the game. Aragorn and Boromir can pretty much take on most things. You know, you got strike, you got lances the pointy sword of doom and lots of might to back you up and lots of ways of doing wounds with you their three attacks but gandalf doesn't quite have that just raw damage output that the other two big heroes do have and borrow uh sorry gandalf at times can have these points and like problems of actually being able to get in and do wounds to enemy models especially once Uh, your um, might starts to dwindle and you don't have a lot left to you know, call heroic strikes or or even just being able to push through your spell. Late game stuff with Gandalf can always feel a bit dicey. And I think the best way to kind of cover those weaknesses is to uh, bring in lots of like the small minor, uh, not minor heroes, but the the smaller kind of 50 point heroes like Kyrian, Knight of the White Towers in particular, to just kind of sit in that middle zone to... Add extra threat to your army where Gandalf can't quite, you know, go in and bruise or bruise something down. And I think even possibly even um, uh, Avenger Bolt Throws could be even another cool way of adding a way of doing wounds to high high defense models and be able to whittle them down.
2: Mm. Good. Now, before we finish up our tactics episode, I want to mention one more corner case way of playing Gondor that David really loves, and that's the mass Knight of the White Tower with the Citadel Guard with uh, a different hand weapons. He gives them the stun weapons. Is that the club? Yeah, club. Yep. So he gives them the club, and his tactic is that the Citadel Guard go into enemy heroes or monsters or anything, anything of value, and basically they special strike stun. Like, they're not interested in doing th- wounds. Anything with multiple wounds... They're not, they, they won't have a bar of it. Just stun, stun, stun. And once they've got the stun off, which happens more often than you expect because all they have to do is just win a fight and then they have a chance of getting it off. Then once they're stunned, the Knight of the White Tail walks up, does his heroics if he has to, strike, whatever, and just goes to full offensive mode. So the, the sword, two-handed, of course, and chops its head off. And this tactic... It um, surprised me because David's found a lot of use out of it and it's done really well. And I've, I've seen him run up to three Knights of the White Tower with his tactic and and take off some really big stuff, get lots of scalps there. Uh, what do you think about this in the new edition, Kyle? Is it still viable?
3: I think it's still very viable. I think it's a bit slower than it was before, but the potential of the Knight of the White Tower now botching because he's got the broadsword special um has gone down. So they're a bit more reliable in that respect, especially now that they have an extra um point of might. One thing I will say, what I love about the Knight of the White Tower, is there a cheap way of adding damage potential to your army. So what I mean by damage potential is a, the ability to get through something with high amount of wounds, high amount of defense, and kind of lots of fate or way of shrugging off wounds. So, for instance, if your opponent you know brings in a, a Mortal Troll Chieftain or... You're up against Durin or Dane or or even some of the other big you know big nasties in the game like dragons and drakes. You always want a way of being able to actually deal damage to those models, and Knight of the White Towers is a really really good way of getting in there with something and actually getting reliable damage down and getting reliable wounds down onto those onto those models. Which is why kind of Aragorn and Boromir are really really good picks, and why probably Boromir is one of the most run models in the gondor list because you, you throw him in there he's got six points of might three attacks and a lance even if you go with the beat stick mode there's not much that he can't actually crack through and if you can't afford a Boromir or an aragorn or if say you're, you're point synced and you've got you know um gandalf in there the knight of the white tower is a really really good way of getting something in your army that can actually deal damage to those high priority high hard to kill targets
2: definitely like the new broadsword rule it means that like you don't feel bad about going two-handed two-handed's always been a bit of a bugbear of mine that it hasn't really done what it's supposed to do but that like sixes counter sixes thing is just so handy and it means that the two-handed weapon is is an option that that you're very happy to i know that a lot of mods you don't have a choice anymore um, I sometimes wish the Berserkers had that instead of their choice between the two weapons, but that's a different chat altogether. It's it's a good option, and he's one of my favourite Gondor heroes, especially if you don't go for named heroes. That Knight of the White Tower just really has come along on his own.
3: And I, I, they have a really good, unique place in the list too of being able to, like, keep helping out your your main infantry lines their one weakness of course is that they're sl- a lot slower than a lot of the other models in the in in the list because they don't have access to a horse but if you play smart and position your army kind of almost pivoting around the knight of the white tower you can be a very very useful model to have and if you keep him safe you can just add so much presence to your army when you you wouldn't otherwise normally have and actually i think that's one of the th- the, the great things about the 9 under the White Tower is even if they're out of mind, you always feel that they're a threat on, when they're on the table. And just being able to have that cheap, you know, 55, 60 point model on the, be able to put down and go, right, you come near this thing, your Gothmog is at risk. Your Azog is at risk. Your your Suladan is at risk. And that can help you position to get, um, to, to win a game.
2: Gondor's a, one of these flexible lists that there's a lot of play styles that work with them. Now, Kylie, at Articon last year, you ran a, a might-heavy list and it was lots of heroics all the time. Could you run something like that with Minas Tirith, do you think? I actually think you do. In fact, one of
3: the army lists that I'm going to share later kind of does a bit of that, um, kind of looks at that in a similar vein. Um, one of the like the big things about the old, my list from the old edition was the... Uh, the fact that pretty much I had so much might and everyone could strike with a lot of the changes, you know, great company can't really do that anymore, but because of the night of the white tower and <laughs> a lot of the, you know, mid range Gondor heroes have strike that ability to have so much pressure on the board at any one time and kind of anywhere is still there. So doing these kind of micro warbands, and I know we've harped on a lot about that in the past is still, I think a very, uh, useful, uh, tactic and strategy to use with the Gondor army especially if you kind of even look at the models like uh, faramir Kyrian madril damrod those kind of characters they can provide so much flexibility in an army that sometimes doesn't really usually have a lot of flexibility and if you're smart with how you're using your might you can get around things that you wouldn't normally be able to get around the only downside of course is that you don't have any fight six and I don't know. I'm of the opinion now that you pretty much always want to have at least some fight six in an army from somewhere, because it can really hurt you not to have uh, something high fight in the game, just to kind of keep you going late game. Then um, If you do the damage early, it doesn't really matter.
2: Yeah, it's very much a get rid of their fight high fight as quickly as you can. And if they're all fight high fight, like an alpha army or some of that, it's basically just go at them and try and outnumber and, and get more attacks in the fight and, and sort that out, because... You're right. If you if you don't have a high fight, you've really got to either have a lot more attacks or you've got to go and target that stuff really early.
3: Yeah, or, you know, use Gandalf to, you know, DC that particular target down and hope you got enough of everything else. But the fact that um, Transfix got nerfed means Gandalf's might is a lot more valuable now in, you know, being able to channel and strike. Um, another thing I think we haven't really talked about is the Avenger Bolt Thrower. I think with how the new game is structured a bit and the lack of strike i think and just the way that avenger bolt throwers now are their own warband i think they're actually a fairly decent choice now in a um in a gondor list normally i don't like saying siege engines are a good choice but i feel like the avenger bolt throw 70 points it's a pretty solid investment
2: i haven't tried it myself so i'm totally guessing this one but I've heard good reports about it. People seem to like it, mainly because it can basically, on its own for 70 points, you can deny a total area of the battlefield because if someone does choose to go that way, they're going to get caught out and um, in some games they're going to absolutely lose their whole flank of force or whatever. So it, it's a really good sort of... Park them on a road, a nice entrance point, in front of a couple objectives or or with, an, with a line straight to the middle of the board and you can force the opponent to stay away from that area because the damage potential... Is massive. Um, what it does, I guess, just depends on how well you roll and how how well everything goes for you. But to be able to pump up that many high strength shots at once is pretty scary. Yeah,
3: and I think I think that's the the selling point of the Avenger Baltra. Right? It's pumping out high strength shots. It's going right here's a bunch of strength seven shots. I can actually you know shoot down Kazak guards or I can you know crack a hole in them around an orc shield wall. Where you wouldn't normally be able to do that, and just being able to apply at least even just a little bit of pressure to those big shield blocks or those big scary monsters that would otherwise dominate the table is really really valuable, especially for a, a Gondor army that you know doesn't have a hell of a lot of tricks in terms of control or special rules and stuff. They just kind of got a solid you know frontline call with good cavalry and good heroes, and if you don't have say the Gandalf to like you know move things around and stuff, or Boromir or Aragorn or one of your other big heroes is off somewhere else doing something else having an Avenger Boltra go right I'm going to zone you out of here can be hugely beneficial and I think uh, one game I remember watching uh, Matt play he did this really cool thing with the Avenger Boltra, um in the um, setup phase of the game in Domination he placed two objectives in a line kind of in this corridor in the middle of the table and parked his um, Avenger bolt throw at the end of that corridor so that no matter which side he had he could always choose one end of the corridor park the Avenger bolt throw there and basically zone off two objectives from his opponent so he, his opponent couldn't risk coming out into the opening against the Avenger bolt throw, and they had to walk around and go the long way and I thought that was a really really clever way of using the Avenger bolt throw and using you know the deployment of objectives and lining up kind of um, the terrain a bit and looking for those corridors to be able to go right this corridor is mine i'm now going to center my whole battle plan around you not coming down this corridor and you know force a bad engagement for you if you
2: decide to go around that is clever to think about the deployment of the objectives in regard to the siege weapons because they are very limited in where you can deploy them so that's a good way to get around that and turn that into a bit of an advantage to know that you can park them within six inches of an edge and that's going to Gonna help you out, Kylie. I've got one more question for our tactics. I think this is the most appla- appropriate place to put it in there. Uh, shield wall. Do you give your bowmen shields, or do you not bother?
3: I actually uh, think of it the other way around. I actually give my um, shield and spearmen bows if I've got <laughs> points left over. Okay. Um, kind of. I I I think it's really useful to have the shield. Borrow spear combo on a couple of your shield war models just to keep your opponent honest when they're kind of approaching you and stuff so you might have your main kind of archer block of you know Barragon and some Citadel guards or you know mud and some rangers or something off to one side but if you have a big like you know 20 man tin can block in the center of your army and you throw in you know four or five archers that you can just squeeze into your army with extra points and stuff it can force your opponent to play a bit more conservative with, you know, heroes on horse and, you know, um, priority targets like um, horn blowers and um, uh, banners, and just kind of keep them a little bit further back or off to the side. And it just kind of forces your opponent to to respect the fact that you have a handful of arches in your tin can block, and in particular. Uh, it allows your infantry blocks to do something when they're not moving. So, okay, right, I'm parked on this objective now. I'm covering two objectives. I'm preventing my opponent from really kind of moving past me onto the back ones. I'm not going to move at this point. I'm going to take a couple of pot shots. And, Mm. you know, a couple of kills here and there is always nice.
2: Yeah, there's, it's definitely a talking point for that because I know a lot of people did not regard the Minas Tirith Bowman in the past at all because they're well, they're just standard bowmen with the defense five, which is sort of neither here nor there. It's not bad against strength two archers, but other than that, it's it's not particularly great when you've got things like citadel guard bowmen and rangers around. But to be able to access that strength six defense, sorry, not strength, the the defense of six just by putting three of the archers together with shield is uh, a little bit more tempting, isn't
3: it? Yeah, I think I think it's handy to have with your your main kind of force of archers and even if they do get charged or get separated or so you can shield them too like there's a lot of little advantages and if you have a spare points left over you know i think it's worth you know giving a few of your spear shield uh models bows or giving a couple of your bows shields i mean it's not that much points you know it's maybe a one or two guys and having that tactical flexibility in the kind of main bulk of your army or even just else anywhere in your army i think it's worth the points and i think we shy away from trying to shy away from you know taking these little extra things you know like two hundred weapon shields on bowmen and you know adding spears to certain models simply because it's it doesn't work with our like shield war strategies but having that little extra bit of you know flexibility can always always be super super useful it's it's why i take two hundred weapons and models and i think I think this is one of those cases um where it's it's always nice to have a handful
2: mm. yeah, true o- on that note, you see extra point as well. I've been enjoying uh the Oscillia of veterans, which I don't think are the best models around, but when I use them, paying the extra point for swapping their hand weapon out for an axe, mainly because I feel like thematically they're probably the most obvious ones that will grab a different weapon because they're veterans and maybe their swords been blunted or they've had the opportunist, opportunity to grab an Orc's Axe or something like that. really gives you something different in the Force. So just, even just a few of them, I usually run maybe four or five of my veterans with everything going, but just give them Axes as well. So if they need to go and gang up on a monster or something that's high defense um, with the wrong kind of defense, so basically a high even number defense, I've got something to go at them with. Okay, Kylie, thank you for those tactics. There's gives us a lot to think about, and I think it's going to lead in very nicely to our army list. But before we do army list, we've got possibly the best segment ever.
0: (laughs) Scenario Spotlight.
2: Scenario Spotlight defence of Asgiliath. In the years since his last defeat, the Dark Lord has remained hidden away in the Land of Shadow, preparing to assail Middle-earth once more in search for the Ring of Power. As his strength grows, so too do his armies. Legions of orcs and other foul creatures are drawn to him, and behind the Black Gate of Mordor, the forces of the Dark Lord gather in numbers beyond count. As the War of the Ring begins... Sauron's forces attack the ruins of Osgiliath in the eastern parts of Gondor, the former capital being the first to feel the Dark Lord's wrath. As the garrison camps within the ruins of the city, an army of mortar orcs marches towards them, intent on capturing it and stripping away Minas Tirith's last line of defence. Amidst the fallen stone and crumbled buildings, the howls of the orcs can be heard, signaling the beginning of their assault upon the city and the commencement of Sauron's full-scale invasion of Middle-earth. Faramir must now lead the defenders against the onslaught of Orcs. If they cannot hold back the invaders, the city will fall into the hands of Mordor for the first time in centuries.
3: Thank you for that stellar reading, Jeremy. And we are back for Scenario Spotlight. We'll be looking at three scenarios from the Gondor at War uh, supplement that's recently kind of come out, although at this recording of this cast, I'm not sure if it's going to be recent anymore. But, you know, Tomato, tomatoes. Uh, So, what's our first scenario for us, Jeremy?
2: The first of the three scenarios we're looking at today is the defense of Asgiliath, which is the first scenario in the Gondor at War book. Uh, We have, in this scenario, the participants of Faramir, a captain of Gondor with bow, Madril, captain of Ophelion, Damrod, ranger of Ophelion, so the three amigos there, leading 12 warriors of Minas Tirith, which is one sprue, nice, and then 12 rangers of Gondor, also one sprue. Uh, Eight have no additional war gear 4 have spear so just standard plastics ones nice and easy to put together then for evil you have three mortar orc captains with shield 36 mortar orcs and they're split up with the plastics so 12 shields 12 spears six two-handed weapon six orc bow hopefully you've got the metal orcs for those ones it's a lot of orcs and not that many uh, warriors of gondor really
3: no, but I, f- I feel I would give the advantage to the uh, Gondorians, though, because they have um the 5-4 and superior bowfire.
2: That is very true. They That is, just looking at that force, if you're matching them up together, you'd probably back the Gondor in on that, especially because they can hang around and sit back. But we have special rules, Kylie, that may change your mind. Firstly, the hordes of okay. Mordor. Countless Orcs have flooded the city. Each time a Mordor Orc warrior is slain, so this time when they, when they die, the warriors, not the captains, place it to one side. At the end of each evil move phase, roll a d6 for each mortal warrior kept aside in this manner. On a 4+, place the model anywhere within the evil player's deployment zone, which happens to be 12 inches, up to 12 inches. So you can get pretty close to the center of the board, which is what you're going for. You've got Faramir. He must always charge of able because he's a bit reckless, a bit young. But he can spend a will point not to charge, which gives you something to do with his will. Should he be slain, the best result the good player can achieve is a draw. So you've got to be careful with Faramir. And then you've got objectives. And you've got three objectives on the board. And an evil model can destroy an objective by being in base contact with it during the end phase of any turn. So as long as they did not participate in a fight, including supporting in the preceding fight phase. So you've got a classic three-objective type board. They're all set 12 inches away from the evil deployment zone or maybe slightly over it, depending how big your markers are. The good is set up right in the middle of the board uh, within six inches and the evil side just floods into the objectives. Now, you want to play a really dense board here as well. So that way way the Gondor can defend and and hold back a little bit and you've only got 10 turns. So 10 turns to hold back an endless orc horde... Can be tough.
3: Yeah, that's um and recycling orcs is never what you want to see in a uh scenario when you're playing as the good side. It is the thing of nightmares. Just when you think you're doing really, really well, uh you failed to kill a few you, you fail to kill a few models some turns and then suddenly you you're fighting all 36 orcs at once.
2: I don't think you fight all 36 orcs at once just because of the terrain advantage. So you're not fighting them all, but the Orcs are able to do some of these fantastic little formations, and one my favorite one as the Orc player to do was to basically go two-handed weapons in the main assault, so going right at the middle objective, which is the one you're closest to, backed up by spears, and just going with the two-handed piercing as much as you can. So if they die, who cares, because they're coming back next turn, or on a 4+, and if they don't die... If they win a fight, they probably kill a, a Warrior of Minas Tirith. So it's a very aggressive way of playing the Orcs. Normally you'd be a bit conservative in shield and hold back, but the fact that you're going full attack is really quite interesting and you can be quite reckless. Uh, reckless
3: is one way to put it. Complete disregard for one's life is, a, is another way you could uh, also say it. It's very interesting way, uh, like having your models come back, how it can change uh, how you would normally play or approach a game knowing that you know, your troops aren't that uh, uh, precious in, in kind of this circumstance. And I always find it interesting how scenarios can always uh, kind of change almost the way you would play uh, an army. Like most armies would play a very particular way. And in this particular scenario or particular way, the orcs suddenly can shift to this super hyper-aggressive force that you wouldn't normally see out of most orc players in a, in a regular game.
2: And the tactics are interesting for both sides as well. There's a fair bit of choices here because you've got three objectives and the good side only has to secure one to win the game. So they have to secure one and keep Faramir alive. So they could early on from the game, um, like, tank up on one objective. But the problem with that is that all the orcs need is to have, like, a turn or two of of botched combats and it opens up a hole. And once you open up a hole, it comes down to that roll for priority. So if you manage to open up a hole... Kill a couple guys so you can get a model through and then uh, basically get the priority. You can just get behind a formation, hold them off and send in some orcs. So it is a big risk. I know when David and I played it, um, one objective he had tanked up so well, I thought I could never get through it. I managed to kill just a couple warriors early on, got a roller for priority and then ended up taking that objective out early on. So he had to go and move his whole force to a different one, which was quite interesting. So if he let me get that different one early on and didn't defend it, he would have been in a lot of trouble. So I actually really like this scenario. It feels a bit like uh, a siege in terms of the endless orcs, the way you're holding off different things, but without all the... the, Like, sometimes as a siege player, as the evil player, or whoever's besieging the fortress, it can be a bit annoying that you're not actually doing any damage. You're just dying, dying en masse, and you're not pushing through. Yeah, yeah. Unlike a siege where you, you can get that frustration as the evil player by by not getting any damage at all, this one it's it's much more dynamic. You, you're getting that damage in there. There's no real walls to hide behind. You can definitely tank up a little bit, but you get that siege effect, but with a lot more maneuver and a lot more a lot quicker action there, which is I think quite more quite an enjoyable game to play.
3: Yeah, it's always um a bit frustrating when you know you're playing regular sieges where you know, you know you go to all this effort to finally win a combat only to be thwarted by the wall and bounce off with the not being able to roll a four plus to actually get over and, and get a wound. And it's always nice that when you've gone to the effort to finally get like some damage in that will actually stick.
2: Now, that said, there was times when we were defending walls and things in this one because we had some ruins around there. So you get a bit of a mixture of it, but there's enough pathways where you can get around it as well. So as an evil player, one of the challenges is your timing. Because you've got 10 turns, you need to know when to strike because your front guys are just going to come back constantly. So they're always striking. But you've got to get some guys around the back. You've got a nice big board. The good side might not be able to defend the whole board. So you're sending some amount of guys on a mission around the back so that they can basically surround the good force and, and punch a hole from all sides. The problem is that if that force dies, you're in trouble because you can't reinforce that force. So it's almost like you've got to send your most valuable models around the back as a scout force while your throwaway models just keep coming back and keep putting pressure on the front and forcing the good side to, to, to respect it. So the idea of getting the captains around the back with, a, with some guys early on is pretty important.
3: Yeah, it's, it seems like there's at least a few uh, interesting options you have as the evil side to kind of figure a way of approaching the game and finding a breach in, in um, the, the Gondorian's defences.
2: Yeah, one one of the things I want to do at one point is to throw all three captains on a single flank and just really try to power through it as quickly as possible because as a good player, I'm not sure what you'd do to defend that. Would you go and throw Faramir and Madrill to defend that and then have no just be relying feel, on just, roll-offs? Yeah.
3: I feel like if you had the three captains in the same spot, you'd pretty much demand uh, Faramir's attention at that point because he's the only kind of model in the in the good force that can really go, right, I actually have, you know, a really good chance to be able to beat these guys back and hold them up for a decent amount of turn. But by the same token, the captains are probably your, your best way of kind of dealing with Faramir. Yeah. So it, it creates a very interesting kind of dynamic throwing all three captains in a, in a single spot.
2: Yeah, so you get some good choices. I feel like this one, out of the scenarios, um, well, well, out of out of some of the scenarios, has a really good replayability. If you set it up, if you had a nice Osgiliath board, your standard 4x4 Osgiliath board, which is pretty much the standard, and it would be good for tournaments as well, I feel like this game gives you a lot of replayability. I, I don't think it's one that you'll throw away after one or two playings or actually solve it. I think there's enough options where... You can keep it fresh in the way that some of the better scenarios like um, the old, like Scaring the Shire, Battle of Bywater and things like that gave you those options where you could just keep deciding on different ways of doing it. It's got a bit of a feeling of that as well. I don't know if it's as good as that one, but it's definitely enjoyable. And I think the amount of models and the theme is, is spot on. It's really, really a nice collection.
3: Sounds like it. So what's the next scenario you got for us, Jeremy?
2: The retaking of Osgiliath. Osgiliath has fallen to Orcish hands, their assault providing more than the forces of Gondor were prepared to deal with, and Faramir and his garrison have been forced to retreat to Minas Tirith or face their death. Upon receiving news of his youngest son's failure to keep the city safe, the Lord Denthor entrusts his eldest son Boromir with the task of retaking it from the forces of Mordor. With the orders from his father given, and the banner of Minas Tirith held aloft, Boromir and Faramir lead a force from Minas Tirith towards the former capital in order to reclaim her for the kingdom of Gondor. Upon the streets of Osgiliath, the clash of sword-upon-shield can be heard as the brothers-in-arms fight side-by-side for the city. Yet should they fall, the hope of their men shall surely fade, and Osgiliath will never be restored to her former glory.
3: Thank you for that, Jeremy. Sir... this one, I think, is uh, set just before the War of the Ring, kind of almost pre-Fellowship, where, you know, Boromir and Faramir are kicking around, and that, that great scene in Deleted Scenes where, like, is standing in Minas Tirith with Faramir with the, with the banner and makes that sterling speech. Yeah, is it in the extended edition? It might be. Uh, but yes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is, where he's, like, reminiscing about Gondor and the Fellowship.
2: Yeah, so this is immediately after the previous scenario, Defensive Asgiliath. Basically, Boromir has to come and and retake Gondor and the nice thing about this scenario is it leads on really well. You've got the same board as the previous one. You've got exactly the same participants with two differences. For the good side, you add Boromir on foot with the uh, the banner of the White Tower. Oh, sorry, the captain of the White Tower with the banner of Minas Tirith. And on the evil side, you add one Mordor troll. So you've got Two models. Now, already there's a bit of a discrepancy there in that one is much better than the other.
3: Yes, I would take a Boromir Captain of the White Tower with Banner over a mortal Troll any day of the week.
2: Mm, So, that's going to be tough for the Orcs, but they can maybe fall back on their Horde rule. No, they can't. They don't have that in the special rules. They don't have the Horde special rule again. They don't have the Horde special rule. It is a bit... So they've got Sons of the Stuart, where evil models may re-roll failed to wound rolls against Boromir and Faramir. So if you win a combat against Boromir and Faramir, you wound more. And then there's for Gondor, in a turn in which Boromir or Faramir charges into combat, all Gondor warriors that are also charged within three inches of either of them gain a bonus of one plus to wound during the fight phase. So the Gondor will basically get one plus to wound as well. This one is, with the layout, the starting 24 inches apart, 12 inches in, evil side pretty much has to run at the good side. There's no turn limit. It's just a straight fight. The evil player has to be wiped out. Good player has to survive, uh, slay both Boromir and Faramir. You can't afford to stay back and have a shooting war as the evil player because the good will outshoot you with the 12 ranges of Gondor. So you've really got to go at them. Could you leave an orc behind in the building? Yes, but you're just delaying the inevitable. This is a tough, tough, tough scenario with for the evil side. Um, unfortunately we played it with some new players as well so they they were running through it and um, it went pretty much as you would expect where the good side everything went right for them it didn't help that that Boromir managed to kill the troll without spending more than one point of might but it's it's a tough scenario for the evil side and I feel like the only way they can really win it is by using the troll and the orcs to just gang up on the warriors and then essentially run away when Boromir and Faramir come to just avoid them, play the Halo tactics on those heroes until they're out of warrior support, and then go all in.
3: Yeah, it almost seems like the evil side is set up to fail in this scenario, because normally would say stuff like, you know, nine times out of ten. I would go as far to say as 99 times out of 100, the good side's going to win this game, simply for how much power the, the, the good side has in this game and the control they have. I mean, already you have, what, close to 13 points of might with the heroes there. Not to mention the fact that Boromir gives all your dudes, you know, five, four and five, five. so there's not much that's going to be able to keep up with him. And he's already just a base high, high um tying with the troll. Like, how do you win that as evil? I don't think you can.
2: I think you've got to use the terrain as much as you can to mitigate the shooting. You've got to get your troll in combat. So even if your heroes are marching to get the troll into combat... And then the troll has to do all the work and kill, start killing warriors, and then um, hurling and knocking down the heroes. I think is pretty much your only bet if you can knock down Boromir and Faramir, and then swarm them with orcs. Maybe uh, there is a limited number of good side, but it's not that different to the evil side. Like we're only talking like a twelve model difference or something close to it. So that's pretty much half can be wiped out by shooting. It's a tough scenario.
3: Yeah, and if it, you're and going up. But by the time you do hit combat, you're roughly going to have about, well, maybe a six model advantage to the evil side. Six model advantage is not going to be enough when your opponent has higher fire value across the board.
2: No, no, not to take on Boromir, Faramir, and Madrill. It's, yeah, it, it's going to be a really tough one. I'm sort of surprised there isn't two mortal trolls or something in there. I feel like something like that might make the difference.
3: A second mortal troll, I could see, I could see the evil player. Possibly be able to pull a win out of that. But one is nowhere near enough.
2: No, because Boromir just heads straight towards it and he's able to take it out. Like he's, If he's conservative with his might and relying on his horn whenever he takes on troops and things, he's not going to lose combats very often at all. And he's got the three fates. So even if he does get a cheeky loss in combat, he's not too worried about it. They're probably not going to do the six wounds on him needed. It's very much one of those story type scenarios that plays out as it does in the... book i feel like if you wanted this to be a sort of balanced scenario competitive on the knife edge you probably need to either um, add more orcs you need to say that the good side has to hunt the orc heroes and the troll and then the other orcs are endless um, perhaps and that that might be too much or give some extra models give a troll or something like that or maybe even um, start with less good models have some of them that that are not on the board yeah, that could work. Half the half the good force would um, also
3: be another way of really putting them under the pressure. That way Boromir and Faramir really do have to do the
2: work. Yeah, I just... I'm not sure. It feels like it's... It, it's I love that it uses the same participants as the previous one, but I feel we missed a clue of the special rules. I feel, I feel like something needed to be done, if that's the participant they wanted, to, to even it up for the evil side a little bit. Um maybe even something like free marches or something like that just to to keep them going i don't know cuz you spend like i guess getting there is not the biggest issue but, but the problem is when you get there you're fighting boromir and his banner of doom and that's tough
3: yeah like even even just like me sitting here running the numbers in my head like the, yeah like the good side in that has nearly like 100 150 point advantage over the evil side like, the troops just about cancel each other out I know the orcs come to 180 points ish i think a bit more than that maybe closer to 200 the good side comes in roughly about the same as well 200 points for the warriors and then you kind of got faramir who just as himself is enough to take on a on a um, mortal troll with being about what 90 90 odd points against the trolls 100 and then you've kind of got three captains which come in at 150 points but Boromir is what 200, 190 with the banner. Then you have got Madril and Damrod on top of that. You're just totally outclassed.
2: Yeah, maybe maybe something like Boromir enters the board when the um when the the good side breaks. It might be something interesting. Um, something something to uh, something to break it up because I, th- the-
3: I think the second I think the second troll would be the probably the the, the best way of adding a quick patch to the scenario. Yeah, because I feel like that, that that would cover up a lot of the the problems. That way, you could um almost uh, instead of having the troll in the center of the table and running straight at them, and then having to force do that last minute kind of swerve to the side to catch them as they duck to the side, you could have a troll on either flank and then kind of catch them in a pincer movement. So no matter which way they run, they're going to be running into a troll. So I think that would that would be the best 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 bet. There would be to have a second mortal troll in there. Yeah. Then I, I could say the evil side maybe pulling it off.
2: Yeah, I, I think so. I think and th- then your warriors really have to go under pressure because like someone's gonna have to hold up a troll. The problem is there's enough strike around as well that Boromir into one troll, Farramir into the other troll, and they've got a good chance of holding them up or taking them down. So yeah, it, it's I think it's a good idea for a scenario. And if if you just like it from a story point of view and you want to see good win, it's fine from that side. From a narrative one, I feel like it needs a bit of work from a from a like a, a competitive narrative type thing, but it, it it looks good it's got good participants, it leads on nicely, but I think you need some tweaking definitely need some tweaking Ambush in Athelion. As the power of the ring grows stronger, the Dark Lord Sauron continues to gather all manner of evil men and other creatures to him. From the distant and arid deserts of the south march the armies of the Haradrim and their dreaded Mumakil. The people of this tribal race have pledged themselves to the Dark Lord's cause in return for the riches and renown that they have been promised. Yet, in order for the armies of the Haradrim to reach the Black Gate and enter the land of Mordor, they must first traverse the densely forested terrain of Ithilien. These lands are constantly patrolled by bands of Gondorian rangers under the command of the Stuarts' younger son, Faramir. As the Haradrim make their way through the woodlands, they are unaware that they are being hunted by Faramir's rangers. The Rangers of Gondor make their presence known to the Haradrim forces, peppering them with arrow after arrow as they remain hidden from view among bushes, trees and shrubbery. If Faramir and his rangers can prevent the Haradrim and their feared war beasts from reaching the land of Mordor then they will have made a significant dent in the Dark Lord's plans. Thank
3: you once again for another stellar reading, Jeremy. So, I've I've had the privilege of playing this scenario and this is a really kind of interesting scenario in terms of how it plays out.
2: It is actually. It's it's one that's very dynamic in terms of models and very visually appealing because you've got... For the participants, Faramir, Madril, and Damrod, the three amigos again, with 24 ranges of Gondor this time, um, eight with Spear, so the two sprues or one of the old boxes, which could be the new box now, I'm not sure. But then on Evil, you've got two Mumakil of Harrod with 12 warriors with bow inside them, so this is actually good, they've all got bowmen inside them. And then on foot, poor, sad Haradrim, you've got 24 of them with Spear that can't fit on the Mumakil, can't get a ride, so have to leg it with the Elephant's. You're on this dense forested uh, with lots of shrubbery ethelium board with a nice pathway down the middle. So it's a 4 by 4 board with lots of forests. Um, good setting up in the forest. Evil side's basically taxing the Mumakil down the way. And it's a very simple uh, objective for so this one. You get two her, two Mumakil off the board as an evil player, you win. You get one off, it's a draw. You get zero off, good player wins. So pretty straightforward in terms of rules, very simple objectives. And the only special rule that they need for this one is that the good side gets a free shoot at the start of the the, the turn at start of the game before priorities rolled. And then and the first three turns of the game, they get stalk unseen and may re-roll ones to wound when making a shooting attack. So you get a bit of a reward for shooting the first three turns, and it means the haradrum have a hard time wiping you out. So a lot of times they don't get to shoot in those first three turns.
3: It took us a while to kind of figure out um, how to kind of win as the good side. And once we kind of figured out that, no, you you actually really do need to shoot at the Mimikil with all your archers, it, um, it turns into a very um, uh, interesting game. You really have to work for a win as either the good or the evil side. And uh, there's not a hell of a lot of choice, but... How the game plays out is is, is very interesting to, to kind of at least play once or twice.
2: Yeah, I, I, look, I, we've got differing opinions on this one. But basically, for in terms of tactics, the evil tactics are pretty straightforward. You just go forwards. Um, if there's any rangers in the way and you can stomp on them, you do that as a Mumak. If, you if you're at risk of getting say, something like Faramir in combat with you with the Fight 5, you try and stomp him. So you call a heroic move. Uh, the Haradrim warriors are there just to get in the face of the the rangers and just clog them up. You don't even worry if you're getting kills or not. It's irrelevant. You're just getting in the way with those guys, trying to hold them back. And you're trying to stop the getting lots of rangers in combat with the Mumax while they just keep going forwards. Um, you want to get both of them off. So if one of them's in danger and the other one's not, you may want to go support. But that tactic is straightforward. The good player gets a lot of choice in that they can basically go all shooting they can go half combat half shooting or go pretty much all combat i think you need a fairly decent combat towards the end of the board so maybe three quarters of the way down the board you've got to have your heroes and some rangers ready to go and attack so they can shoot for the first couple turns but then they must be prepared to go sell themselves and jump into combat because otherwise you don't have enough rangers to get get the, the kills
3: it's interesting with um, like kind of the, the ways of, of how you can actually win the scenario as either to see and kind of a bit like the movie, um, kind of the thing that we found out is for the good side to really have a good chance of, of even kind of winning the game, they need to stampede one of the Moomax into the other Moomax. So the game almost turns into this kind of weird um weird state where the evil side is trying to make it so that their Moomacs are far enough apart that they won't stampede into each other. But the evil side, the good side is trying to shoot the Moomacs and get them to stampede or get close to each other so that if one of them does stampede into the other, there's a good chance that one, they're going to knock off wounds off each other and two, they're going to stampede again. Because if you can get the stampedes kind of chaining and linking into each other, you have a good chance of winning the game.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the evil player, it's pretty hard to avoid that because you have to go full speed. So some of it's out of your control. Yes, you can turn around and go back, but you don't really want to do that either because you've got to head towards your objective. So there's a few, and you've only got four mites. So there, there's a bit of a, a tough choice there. But yeah, the, the Stampeding Moomik are the way they die. Um, it's surprising how many wounds you can take off in combat though as well. So the Mummuks are definitely not invulnerable. They, they will go down with a few ranges, not a few ranges, but like, five or six ranges going into combat will do enough wounds to get a Stampede. And then if they hit a Forest, they're pretty much going to take a few wounds off. If they hit another Mumak, they're going to take a few wounds off. When I played against you, you weren't afraid to throw all your mind at wounds and things. and just cut me down. Um, you even did hmm. an interesting move where um, you basically made the Mumak Stampede over Faramir. I didn't think you'd do that. I managed to pin Faramir and and then you Stampeded him over Faramir, took out Faramir, but also crashed the Mumak into the Forest and took out the Mumak. So trading Faramir for a Mumak was an interesting move, but it, it does feel like it's one that you have to be extraordinarily lucky or good to get something other than a draw, um, and that's something that you don't like, is that right, Kylie?
3: Yeah, I, I kind of, I, I wanted to see a I was kind of hoping the scenario would be a bit more um, skill-orientated, um, but then again, you do have two Mumaks on the table, so there's there's not a hell of a lot there you can do with in terms of um with with skill, but I would have liked to see, have seen, you know, a bit more to and fro with the Moomax and a bit more ability to actually decisively change how the the outcome of the game. Because for me, at least, I felt like it was a draw is pretty much concluded unless one of the side really, really buggers it up in in some way.
2: All plays really well, I'm going to say, and I'm going to go a slightly different um, comment on that. Because this is such a visually appealing and such a such an obvious scenario, I think this is the perfect, like, introduce people to Lord of the Rings type scenario. It's such a good one to put on as a demo game. You can get beginners or experienced players playing it, and they're going to play a competitive close game, and they're going to feel like it's, it's a nail-biter. They don't know that it's it's one that's very hard to win either side. So they're going to be doing their, their utmost. Um, the good player can stuff it up. Like, I know that first time Nick played it, I think... Um, as a he just avoided the mummaks with his with his rangers kept them all alive but didn't do any damage and they just walked right off. So you're going to get that occasionally, yeah. but I feel like it's a really good club demo. Get everyone watching the game. It's quick enough as well that you can keep that moving. So I really like it for that visual appeal. I really like it for the introducing people to the game and the story it tells. Um, but you're right. As a as a let's outsmart each other, Kylie. We're pretty much like we could have run it ourselves. Yeah. Could have almost been a solo game.
3: Yeah. Uh I think um if you are looking for a like one of, a scenario based on this moment in the movies, uh there's a really, really old one from like a white dwarf or I think Battle of palinor that um has Frodo and Sam in it as well. And that one felt like a much more uh competitive to and fro game, uh simply because of how the terrain is set up on that and you got people jumping on and off the how and you got roadblocks in the middle and Mumak's trampling over their own dudes. I found that one to be a bit more uh, pleasing to play. Um, But this one's a lot simpler to play.
2: And it does have that big moment of a Mumak crashing into another Mumak is actually really cool. So it's got its moments. It's definitely like if you... I feel like if there's going to be any almost auto-draw type scenario, this is the one you want it to be because it's, it's a good story and you... Like, I still felt good, even though we had a draw, that I got one Wumak off. I felt like I achieved something, even though my other one got horribly mushed into the trees. So that's a real mixed bag, those three scenarios so far. Very different, um, which I think lends itself well to the book with a huge amount of scenarios. They've all got their own little quirks and things. And I feel like most people choose one out of those three that they like more than the others. I think from a tactical point of view, I think that first one is probably the most interesting for us. Would you yeah, agree, Carly?
3: Yeah, I, I think so too. The first one's the most um, the most tactical and the most interesting to play. And then the, the second one's a bit... Okay. I was going to say hit or miss, but it's very, very miss. And the third one's just it's just something cool to look at. Because, you know, two Moomacs on the table, you very rarely get to see that.
2: Yeah, look, I... Whenever I'm gonna get a new player into the game, I'm gonna set up that ambush and Athelion one, I think. Because it's just like it really does look the part and you know my Harajum, my ranges are gondor, they're painted pretty well, so and the board looks really nice with lots of forests. So I feel like it's it's very iconic. Um, people can recognise it straight from the movie and um, it could be much worse. Imagine if it was just the, the harajum just walked off every time and never had a chance. That would be much more disappointing than the fact that it's a draw. So I don't mind it. Mileage may vary, of course, and you might want to do some other things with it, but I kind—I of, like it. I like it, and I can see why it's not your favourite, but I think the first one's a real winner. Okay, well, thanks for that, Kylie. Let's have another break, and then head back for our final segment.
0: Indeed. Mustering an art...
3: Oh We have three hundred more from Denmark, King.
0: Where are the riders from Snowball? None have come, my lord.
2: And we're back, listeners, for what for some of you is the most exciting segment of our Armulus reviews: the mustering. An army. Now, Kylie, yeah. we've got, in the absence of Matt, we've actually stolen some of his lists and ideas and made them much better. So, this is going to be a really good segment. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to kick off, I think, with a 500-point Pure Minas Tirith army, if you don't mind, Kylie.
3: Please, by all means, fire away. Okay,
2: you're going to like this one. Now, this one, I've gone for, I think in the Rivendell list, my biggest regret about that army review is that we didn't do a Pure Rivendell Cav army so I've gone for a pure Gondor Cav Army to make up for that. And I feel pretty good about this one. It's one that I can actually play at the moment, I believe. I think I might have to convert one more model for it, but I'm actually going to give it a try. It's a theory at the moment, but I'm really liking the look of it. So there's, there's my, um, my agenda there. I've gone for 500-point army. I've got Faramir, the captain of Gondor. We have horse, lance, bow. So the ranger, lance... Yeah. One. Good fun.
3: Couldn't afford the heavy armour on there or something?
2: Believe it or not, no. I was I was tight for points. Very tight for all points. Right.
3: That's, that, that, that's fair enough. That, that's why he doesn't have heavy armour. Yeah, all yeah. Right.
2: So he's wearing the Ranger clothes. And I've actually got that model done. So that's part of the agenda there. I've got five Knights of Minas Tirith with shield. So I didn't want to drop all their shields for armour on Faramir. I think their shield's pretty important. I've gone ah. for one Knight oh. of Minas Tirith with a banner and shield. Three Citadel Guard with horse and then they've got Longbow as well, because that's the best option now for Citadel Guard on horse. So that's Warband 1, Kylie. Liking it so far? I'm liking
3: where this is going. <laughs> I think I know what the next two uh, Warbands are going to be. But
2: Two. We'll two. See. You're making a big assumption there. So I've only got nine models in that Warband, but I don't want to go too big with Cavalry. So nine's about the maximum I'll feel comfortable with. Yep. Then I've gone for number two. A Captain of Minas Tirith with Horse, Lance, Shield. So this guy's fantastic. He's got the March, he's got the Lance, he's got the Shield. He's a bit of an all-rounder. He's a very good buy for most lists, I think. I've gone for four Knights of Minas Tirith with Shield in this one, and then two Citadel Guard with Horse and the Longbow as well. So get rid of their spear, give them a Longbow, uh, which is, I think, a nice size warband for cavalry, actually. Captain and six models is very good, and allows me to fight on another front. All good so far. And I've got one more warband, which I've managed to squeeze in. I've got Beragond, Guard of the Citadel, on horse. Going for the classic, the, the old habits yeah. die hard.
3: And I, then, I figured it was going to be Beragond on horse in there somewhere.
2: Yeah, just just he he's the standard horse model. So many people converted him up on horse because he was the way to get the cheap cavalry model in the past. So I've gone for, for that one. There are other options. And he's leading a very small warband of two knights with shield and one... Sidalel Guard with a longbow for that extra fight four and the the avoidance. And they've got two bows in that because Beragon's got a bow as well. So they can actually threaten a little bit and they're the bait war band. So yeah. they can all fight like a Rohan army, essentially spreading out um, using the Citadel Guard and Faramir and Beragon to shoot a bit. I didn't get a bow on the captain of Minas Tirith. I've gone for the pure combat captain, but one option is yeah. to give him a bow as well. And... No, I, I like him with
3: the shield because it's always nice to at least have one model in your army that's just high defense and can, you know, go, you know, off tanker, either another ta- captain or uh, if uh, push comes to shove, you know, go heads up into something like, uh, I don't know, um, uh, Glorfindel or something. And, you know, you know, be reasonably comfortable holding out a couple of turns.
2: Yeah, definitely. He's one that can, like, if he loses his horse, the shield is actually pretty good to be able to sit there at defense seven yeah. and and get in the way of something is pretty solid. So, he does his job. He's the one that's going to be spending his might recklessly at the start if I have to get somewhere quickly. Honestly, I'm probably not going to need to march most games because I've got shooting weapons and I've got move 10, but it can be a really nasty surprise to be able to move 15 inches yeah. and jump to another side of the board. Um, my might, I'm going to hold on to it. because the Models corro- in the army is 21 if I'm not mistaken. So, I've got 18 Infantry and 3 Heroes, so exactly 21 at 500. Yeah. So a little bit on the low side, but with All-Cav, I think that's a good number. Yeah, no,
3: 21 for an All-Cav army is pretty good. I actually quite like it because it's got a bit more uh, defense than a, like a standard Rohan army would. I think it would play very similar to a Rohan army, but I think it would have slightly more punch and slightly, uh, slightly harder to kill
2: yeah it's one you have to work for it like the the knights aren't easy beats with the defense six and it, it's really tough then to go for do I go for the rider or the horse? A lot of times people go for the horse instead of the rider, which is good as well because when they're on foot with a shield, they can do a job as well, so I don't mind that as an army, I really want to play this one at five hundred because five hundred are a little bit hit and miss, I think they could do well, and they could definitely win their fair yeah. share of games and be fun 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 army they'll look really good
3: yeah and you won't have to worry about your courage either. Courage four on
2: the
3: knight. Yeah. The hero's a courage ridiculous. Like what, courage seven on Faramir and five on the captain? Yeah, you're not running anywhere anytime soon. Plus you got bodyguards. I got so. bodyguards,
2: so I'm not really worried about that. If I have to charge things, I can charge things. Sit a guard on horse yeah. can hold up patrol if I need to or whatever. So it's, it's, I think, a, an interesting army. It's got a lot of cav, but it's not an unrealistic amount either because I've got way more than this already done for some of the scenarios and for when you and Matt wanted me to convert up Citadel Guard. So I've put six Citadel Guard in because that's exactly the number I've had, but I couldn't work around it anyway because I've got 18 models in the army. So it worked out perfectly. It was a. It yeah, was... that sounds
3: like a actually really fun like 500 point force to actually pull out and play with. I yeah. really like it.
2: I can see it and it can hold objectives if you need to and it's it's interesting. I think I think it's definitely playable and I think it's one that most people who play against it won't know what to do immediately because it's like it's it's a heavier than a Rohan army and and it can wipe out if you split up it's going to wipe you out pretty quickly. Um the fight value can be an issue but you've got the silo guard to squeeze in when you need it and the heroes can fight pretty well. Berrygon's much of a muchness but he's an extra point of might.
3: Yeah, and he's a bodyguard hero too, which is, bodyguard heroes are always worth their while.
2: Yeah, if anyone's going to sit there and take an objective, it's the while well, Faramir and the Captain do all the fighting. So, I think I think it's, yeah. I like it. I like it. I'm going to talk myself up. I think it's probably the best 500-point Cav Army list that I've made today. Kylie, what have you well, got for
3: with, us? With those statistics, uh, who can blame you?
2: <laughs> yeah, Absolutely.
3: Uh, so what have I got? I've got a... Ah, this one. I have a 750 points, uh, kind of pseudo-competitive uh, Minas Tirith Aragorn-y type list. Oh. So uh, I'll, I'll get stuck right into it. Um, so for Warband numero uno, we have Aragorn King Alessa on, uh, on Armored Horse. Uh, in his warband, we have three warriors of Minas Tirith with shield, nine warriors of Minas Tirith with shield and spear, and three warriors of Minas Tirith with bow, shield and spear. In warband number two, we have Irilas, captain of the guard, with five citadel guard with spear, and five citadel guard with longbow. In warband number four, we have Beragond, captain of the uh, citadel with horse, three citadel guard uh, uh, with horse and longbow. And finally, in Warband, numero uh, four, we have a Knight of the White Tower, one Fountain Court Guard with banner and shield, and three Fountain Court Guard with shield.
2: Ah, okay. So you've got quite a mixture of, of things there. You've got... Um, ELS is a nice choice. He's he's good for his march that's sitting in the army and and his defence, so...
3: The real reason why I got Irelas in there, though, is for the defense and the shielding special. I kind of, um, one of the things I really like about Irelas is his ability to uh, disrupt enemy heroes really, really well. Um, the fact that he has defense and the fact that he can uh, basically uh, shield for free and chip in some extra damage means he can go heads up against some of the more annoying heroes that uh, can be very difficult to get around and just hold them up for turns. For, for, for a time and basically his whole job is to find the biggest baddest thing in my opponent's army and buy me turns and just you know roadblock them hold them up just be just be generally annoying so that it buys time for Aragorn to kind of you know do his thing you know run around the flanks um you know chopping up troops as he goes
2: I don't know if you talked about this before, Kylie, and I'm gonna I'm gonna cut it out if we already did. But do you remember the Lord of the Rings card game they had the Baragon character and he was the ultimate defender? Um, the fantasy yeah. flight card game. And basically when we're playing him, he could just run around and say, Oh, we've got four enemies attacking us, I'm just gonna go defense against everyone and just do all the defending for us. I feel like that's earless in this game now. The heroic defense, the the fact that like he doesn't have a shield but he can shield, he's he's like the ultimate tank yeah. character. And he's got like three
3: points of might, mm. decent defense, and he has march in there as well. So he's really flexible for your army, too, and bodyguard on top of that. He's pretty much everything you want in kind of a disruption piece. And honestly, if if there's a really competitive tournament that's coming up, I'm I'm seriously thinking about running a, a some sort of a ministerialist list with Irelast in it just because of how. Um, disruptive he can be in uh, in your opponent's army. Like even even another cavalry hero who's going into Iralasco can is going to think twice about going into simply for the fact they can go right. I'm shielding at fight five, and there's now a chance I can knock
2: out your horse. Knock out your horse, yeah, absolutely. So Earless is exactly the same point as Ingold. Would you do a straight um, substitution, Kylie, or is um, Iralis? The, the one for you you don't want the strike uh,
3: no way in hell i would do a straight swap for ingold i like ingold in that he um he really buffs your basic troops uh can make it very difficult for your opponent to push in on objectives but with the way this army kind of operates it really likes having those one inch pushbacks after losing combats to kind of reposition a little bit and you kind of need to to do that with this particular with this particular army Mm-hmm. And I think it's important that you're using those pushbacks to your advantage, as opposed to having, you know, your last kind of holding your own. Because at least for me, I find that one is pushback too too valuable to give up in this army. It's not it's not the kind of like sit there and and um, hold hold the whole ground kind of a force.
2: Mm.
3: It kind it... of wants to push their advantage a bit more.
2: It's a very aggressive force, I imagine. You're not wanting to lose combats with it too much because you've got so many similar Guard with a Defense 5 and you've got a good mixture yeah. of Defense, but it's it's not a huge amount of numbers for a ministerius army. I guess when you have Aragorn, that's always the case. So uh,
3: it's an it interesting one. In, yeah, it comes in at 36 models, which isn't too bad. And it's got a decent enough block of Aragorn with 15 warriors to, to be a, a big enough problem. And remember as well, Aragorn yeah, now counts as a banner. So you can really, wherever it is um, in your arm, you can really apply some pressure. The only kind of real serious thing I was thinking about swapping around was swapping the Knight of the White Tower and that kind of little uh, warband with Fountain court and swapping those for Huron, the tall yes. on horse, because Huron has some really good synergies with Aragorn and stuff. Uh, the only thing is I feel like that would leave the infantry with not as much uh, hitters and threats in there. Although with your last, that could be something that could be uh, offset.
2: Mm. Yeah, you make a good point there. It, it's it's definitely one that you can tweak a bit, but I think the basics is always going to be there, isn't it? It's going to be Aragorn, um, lots of fight four, and then a couple of heroes. Main, a tank, I think, is really important. So Aragorn does all the killing and someone else, like if there's two threats, one of them runs in and just, just holds up time for Aragorn to get there. And protect yeah your guard, well That's that's kind of
3: what I see Iralas and the Knight of the White Tower doing is running interception for other big scary enemy heroes. I guess if I'm taking Huron it would kind of turn them into like a double bruiser kind of kind of a force where Huron kind of tries to bail Aragorn out of, of sticky situations. I mean it's I, I would like to play um games with both kind of variants with you know uh, Aragorn Huron Iralas, and Barragon on foot. And, you know, the list that I just um, talked about with Aragorn mounted, um, Baragon mounted, and then Knight uh, of the White Tower on the foot. So- what,
2: what I would do with this one is I would have the Knight of the White Tower and Aragorn basically sitting together, and they're on kill the, the toughest stuff in the opponent's list sort of duty. So just get the two of them into combat. That's pretty much all you need and they're just going to make a mess of almost anything like you, you sit there and you see a, mm. a troll chieftain or something like that and they don't care they just walk right into it um my gundabad tanks with the, the gundabad trolls that would make a yeah. mess of them
3: i suppose one other thing that i'm just kind of like thinking about now uh be a point in uh Huren's favor is that he has resolve which can be mm, kind of can true. be useful sometimes for aragorn if aragorn's out of will you know you have Huron standing next to him go all right i'm going to throw up a resolve Aragorn's got his free point of might and some extra stuff in his, his store, so he can even with one dice have a decent crack at you know shrugging off a spell for the turn, which could be useful. And the fact that Hiran protects Aragorn as victory point.
2: Yeah, you've got you've got some real choices there, I think, and I, I think it's the kind of list that you could play with. You've designed it to be relatively competitive, so it's definitely one that you can tweak and see if it suits your style and um, the what people are playing in the local area. Because I feel like it's one that could definitely become very powerful and very tournament orientated it's it's got all the the bases covered really
3: ideally i mean if you had a tournament if if you're going to take this to kind of like the perfect tournament you pick a tournament where there's none of the uh victory points for banners in there so that you could um drop the banner uh model in the army to protect those because i'm of the opinion if you're going to a tournament you need to have a banner somewhere in your army just to keep keep those victory points but if, if the tournament, you know the scenario is going ahead and none of the banner scenarios are in that tournament, you could drop the, the banner and probably pick up the extra models and be better off for it simply for the fact that Aragorn already provides a massive banner to your army.
2: True, yes. Yeah, it's definitely an Aragorn does all, but he definitely does all. So I like the I like the army around Aragorn. I think it's, um, it's quite decent and it, it's going to be up to the enemy just to pin Aragorn and stop him doing the damage because he's going to be lethal in that army. Mm-hmm. Okay, Kylie, you ready for my second one? Yes! Okay, so this is an 800 points pure Minas Tirith again, so I'm sticking with the bonus courage value. I'm all about the courage value. Must have that, apparently. I've gone for a Walls of Minas Tirith army because I wanted to do the standard classic infantry to contrast the cavalry army before. So I've gone for Gandalf the White on Shadowfax. I said infantry, but he can have Shadowfax on a wall. Why not? He's Gandalf. He doesn't follow the rules. And he's taking advantage of the fact that he can lead 15... With three warriors and Minas Tirith with shield, three warriors and Minas Tirith with spear and shield, three warriors and Minas Tirith with bow, spear, and shield. So I've gone for the, the bow with the spear, shield. Kylie, you convinced me early on your tactics sounded so good that I had to steal it. And then I have have a nice little fountain court contingent as well. So one of them has a banner and shield, and five fountain court guard. With shield, because I want that really tanky defense for in there. So these, this is my get in the face warband. This one's gonna fight. It's gonna do most of the work, and Gandalf's there to to protect it, to run intercept, to do some combat, to uh, blinding light, to transfix, all the kind of fun stuff. So nice big infantry unit uh, warband. For number two, I've gone for Ilis, um, the captain of the guard. Now I. I'll, I'll read this warband and then I'll talk to you about this in a moment, Kylie. Um, it's a yeah. warrior of Minas Tirith with banner, spear, shield. Two warriors of Minas Tirith with spear, shield. Three warriors of Minas Tirith with bow, spear, shield. So I've got the other just casual bows on my spear, shield guys. Three Citadel guard and three Citadel guard with longbow. Now I took earless because of the the Citadel guard type theme because I feel like that's part of the army. I would very strongly consider dropping this guy for Ingold because of the strike. Because I'm I'm la- I'm lacking in strike throughout my army, so that's a real temptation. Um, the heroic defense is really important because I'm running a similar idea to you that he's the the run into the big troll and or anything else and to hold them up. Maybe not a monster, but big hero. So I would very much consider dropping him for Ingold. But I went for earless because of the he looks like a civil guard and acts like it. So. Yeah. That was my thought on that one, but tactically, probably Ingold might be better. Maybe,
3: yeah, I think Ingold would be a better a better fit in this uh, situation, especially if you took the, a lot of the Warriors of Tirith from Gandalf's warband, swapped them into this warband with um, Ingold, and really have that tanky, not going to move anywhere yeah. kind of a yep. kind of a, a thing going on.
2: Yeah, I sort of went more the theme with the Citadel Guard, but that's that's probably what you do if you're going for a tournament. And then for Warband three, I've gone for Berrigond. Oops, I've added a horse here by accident, um, so I've got ten points to spend somewhere else. Maybe extra crew for my fourth Warband, which we'll go into. But I've got Berrigond, um Pippin, and then some Citadel Guard. So Citadel Guard, and then three Citadel Guard, two City Low Guard with longbow. And finally, my last Warband, I've at the moment got. I've got an Avenger Bolt Thrower with Swift Reload and an additional crew member. Um, I could probably add an additional, another additional crew member because of the silly that I ended up taking by accident. But um, I feel like this army doesn't have a whole lot of reason for people to, to come at it unless I have the Bolt Thrower. So I really need that because I don't have cavalry. I've got a good amount of warriors, but not like it's not a groundbreaking amount of warriors. I've got Gandalf um, who can be a bit fragile. Right?
3: What is your model count at the mo- moment, Jeremy?
2: So at the moment... It seems pretty high. Yeah, it's not too bad. There's, at the at the moment, there's either three or four models as part of the, the bolt thrower. So let's say it's four. So let's say it's four for that. We've got uh, 10, uh, 37 warriors and three heroes, so 40 models.
3: That's That's pretty solid for that kind of an army.
2: Yeah, eight hundred forty models, doing the the one per twenty points. It works pretty well. Um, mm. It doesn't hit very hard, but it does defend pretty well. Yeah,
3: I think you are. I think your instinct for um, Ingold was correct, um, or maybe even instead of Ingold, a Knight of the White Tower instead of uh, Yeah, um, Iralas in there. Because if I'm, um, if you have a tanky that like tanky, you know, um, defense seven, not backing away, kind of warband. And then you have kind of Beragon with a large selection of arches in there. I think that would be a more, I think you'd get a lot more out of that.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think it definitely can can do with some tweaking. But it, it, I think it's got the basis for a decent army. Um, I think the bolt throw is really important for the army because otherwise it's like.
3: Yeah, kind it? of like what we were talking about earlier with. You're really needing a way of being able to really do damage to your opponent's high high defense model. Like you need someone that can actually breach your opponent's uh, models. And I feel like um, uh, in this particular kind of a list, the the Avenger Baltra is the way to do that because you know with Car light light up from Gandalf, no one's really going to shoot out your siege crew unless you've got you're up against a Legolas, and even then Legolas is going to take a while to knock through them.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think that's the way you go with this. It's it's the ball of blinding light. So Gandalf blinds everyone. You scare them off of your shooting. You've got a good amount of Citadel guard shooting. You've got some warriors with shooting and you've got a Avenger bolt thrower. If I keep saying Avenger, I hate the word Avenger. We've got a bolt thrower. And then when they when they get to you, you've got enough models hopefully still left that you can just wrap around and go old school infantry traps with Gandalf either mitigating anything big or going on the offensive and helping you kill it. Yeah. Okay. So that one bit of tweaks, but I think it's I think it's a good basis for it. I think it's it's definitely a Gandalf type theme one where it's it plays the long game and and is very tough to crack. So Gandalf can spend lots of time doing his thing. Kylie, do you have an allied force for us?
3: I do, and it's a very kind of uh, interesting allied force uh, that I've got going on. So um, I'll I'll, I'll get straight stuck into it. It's a six hundred point army list. So in Warband 1, we have Faramir, uh, Captain of Gondor with bow, three Rangers of Gondor, and two Oscillief veterans uh, with uh, shield and spear. Uh, in Warband number 2, we have Kirion, Lieutenant of Amon Barad, I think it's called, and he's leading five Warriors and Minas Tirith with shield, five Warriors of Minas Tirith with shield and spear, one Warrior of Minas Tirith with banner and shield, one Warrior ministereth Tirith with Warhorn and Shield. In Warband number three, we have Madril, Captain of Athelion and he is leading three rangers of Gondor. In Warband number four, we have Damrod, Ranger of Athelion and he's leading two rangers of Gondor. And finally, in our final warband, in Warband number five, we have Murin and Dra.
2: Wow, interesting. Micro Warbands.
3: So, yeah, five warbands, um, a bucket, absolute bucket ton of might. I think, uh, what, six, nine, 12, 15, 16 points of might Ooh. in this army.
2: <laughs> 16 at 600, nasty.
3: Yeah, and just about all of them can, I think, all bar. Damn no, About half of the might can be spent on heroic strike, too, which is kind of cool.
2: Yeah, I think Damro and Madril don't have it. Is that right?
3: Damrod and Madril and Dra do not
2: have it. Oh, strength. okay. Yep. Yeah, I'm not yeah. that familiar with Murin and Dra. I haven't read through them in the new rules. So,
3: Well, they've got this um their um, their own uh, kind of uh, allied contingent. They're a part of the Wanderers in the wild list, but they have a really interesting stipulation where they count as historic allies if they are a part of an army that also includes Kyrian. So that's why I have Kirion in the list and have added in Murin and Dra and a Warhorn. So what that does is your Gondorians have, um, you know, the plus one courage across the board from their own army special rule. Then you also have the plus one courage from the Warhorn. So Farami goes to courage eight. Kirion goes to like courage six or something ridiculous. Courage eight if he's up against scary stuff. Mudrill goes to courage six. Damrog goes to courage six. And Murin and Dra go to courage six. And I think it's really important to have your heroes in a um, multiple hero army to have really high courage because you're, they're not going to benefit from each other's standfast. So you want to be making sure and giving as much uh, chance for those heroes to pass their courage test when they're required to do so.
2: That's a really good point in the all-hero army, and you've had a lot of experience with high hero armies, so that that's a good idea, yeah, having the high courage is pretty useful because you want to be spending your will on things like resisting magic powers and you don't want to have to save it for the Courage Test, which are going to inevitably come because you don't have a lot of warriors there and your Gondor Rangers are pretty squishy. But having a wall of, say, five heroes all in the way and doing your patented, I'm going to call heroic combats with everyone move, I think it's going to be really interesting.
3: Yeah, there has one slight problem that I found. It doesn't like playing against... uh um, some of the, the not, not so much the squishy elves, they don't mind the squishy elves, but the high defense kind of um, Rivendell um, Galadrim type, you know, heavy armor and shield defense six elves. They do not like going up against 5-5 uh, five, five with defense six. It kind of ruins their day because their high fight, you know, Murundra and Faramir can't really do a lot of work that they normally would be able to do. But anything that's kind of fight for or less or has other heroes or lots of eggs in one basket, they do not care. They absolutely love playing against it. They love playing against big, scary things like trolls because everyone's just about got a bow. you got lots of might-powered shooting, lots of strike, and lots of might so that when those big, scary things do get to you, you can burn them down with uh with all your might points.
2: I feel like against those elves, you might even turn into a bit of a... um. Uh, like a a shooting focused army and really try to outmaneuver the elves make it so you can shoot and they can't and then thin out as many of them as you can because you're right, you don't want to be spending all your might on heroics um, strikes against infantry because your heroes should be doing most of the kills so you really need to thin them out and at least match them with your numbers because you might even fight an elf army that has the same amount of numbers as you so you really want to go at them thin them down a little bit first and then finish them off
3: and that's kind of that's kind of one of the things that i've always found playing these particular styles of all hero armies is they always struggle against um high fire infantry uh, so anything five five or higher uh one of the armies that i struggled playing against at Articon um with uh my ranger force was up against um Galadrim Pikemen uh, supporting dwarves and because i didn't have my own fight six to really kind of I didn't have much fight six to really pressure. I was finding that Arathon and Halbarad were losing combats that normally they would have been able to handily deal with, and the captains were struggling a bit too. Um, and I really had to leverage the twins in that situation to get get really kind of get through those annoying high fight, fight five, fight, fight six elves. But this list doesn't have a fight six big centerpiece hero. They, they, their biggest hero is um, Faramir, and that can... Can prove to be a problem against you know those kind of a lists.
2: True, but that said, you've got a really scary tank in Murin. So putting him into into basically more than he's worth, and even shielding or just attacking, could be a way of mitigating those numbers because he's not he's not an easy beat. His defense is high enough, and he's a good enough fighter that he's going to take some work to get rid of.
3: Yeah, Murin. Murin's I found. Um... Maroon and Dra, even with Dra taking nerfs to his FIFA, i found have been very, very, very useful. Um, and honestly, haven't found that they've actually suffered any negatives to their overall kind of, like, playstyle and stuff. Um, I usually have Dra as the leader of the Warband, so you're using the less valuable might to put them in the right positions when coming on in random scenarios, which doesn't happen a lot with my but it can occasionally can happen. Um, and also... The whole main kind of purpose of the army is chaining those heroic actions you know chaining heroic combats with heroic strikes and pushing them into kind of uh weird and awkward places all it means is you've just got an extra layer of thinking where you have to make sure that the heroes that are calling the heroic combats and the heroic moves every turn are damrod are madril are Dra, and not the ones that are the strikers because they're the ones you want to be calling the strikes with every turn to take down the big scary things but if you play it correctly and do the right positioning and stuff and getting Mudrill, Damrod, and Dryer into the right positions, it plays very, very similarly and still plays very, very uh, competitively and really fun to use too. It's always fun to call lots of heroicists in the turn.
2: Yeah, it looks like a fun army and I really do love that it's themed based on the old um, Shadow on the East scenarios. So uh, it looks like a good one. It looks, it looks 600 is, you can get us a lot in 600, can't you? Okay, so my next army, Kylie, is another 600 points. This is why I'm talking it up so much. It's my ally force. I've only got one ally force this time. You've got the two. I've gone for a fiefdoms ally or fiefdoms. Um, I've gone for my favorite... Fiefdom's character, which is Angbor the Fearless. I think he looks the best in my opinion. I love the clansmen sort of look, and this edition clansmen are worth their weight in gold more so than ever before. So I've gone for Angbor the Fearless, leading 15 clansmen who have that new <laughs> they have the yeah, new sword rule. Okay. They can re once they get a six, they're all good. It's a normal attack. They do serious damage, and for a ministerial infantry type army, they actually put out the hurt big time. And their courage is fantastic. They get that mini Aragorn banner effect of Angbor, the the six inches and they're they're re-rolling it. Just those guys. But this war band is pretty scary and it's not that expensive. Angbor's pretty cheap and the clansmen aren't that expensive. So it's like 180 odd points for sixteen models. Yeah, that's that not are, too bad. That are pretty scary. So that's my first war band. Um Angbor has to be the leader because he's the Valor hero, but I I actually don't mind him as a hero. He's you gotta protect him. So he almost, like, um, he picks on weak guys until it's time for him to go in with his strike and take on something big. Then, to back him up, I've gone for his apprentice in the Minas Tirith list, the Knight of the White Tower. So if I'm going to take broadswords, I'm going to take broadswords. You might as well. Yeah. Now, he's taken the cream of the Warriors in Minas Tirith, the best ones. Now, they don't have any special rules, these Warriors in Minas Tirith, but they are by far the best. So he's got one with banner, Spear Shield, He's got three Warriors and with shield and eight Warriors and with spear and shield. So a pretty standard type 12, tank, 12 model tank warband um, with him once again being a bit of an offensive punch. So they they hold off. They've got a lot of spears in that warband so they can go back up the clansmen. They've got a banner so they can get the re-rolls as well and for scenarios with the banner. But this is them intermixed with the clansmen is a really, really tough infantry unit and there's quite a lot of them. So these guys, um, like if a troll comes, they don't care. If infantry comes, they don't care because they've got such good attack. And they've got the, the decent fight value as well with the clansmen. So uh, they're actually pretty powerful. And I, I quite like this little formation intermixed. And to support them, I've gone for a bit of a, an all-round warband of fill in the gaps of what's missing from my army. So I've gone for a Captain of Minas Tirith with Horseland Shield. So he gives me the march. He gives me the horse, the lance, the—he's got the punch if he needs to. He's got the heroic combats if he needs to, and he's leading four knights of Minas Tirith with shield, and a knight of Minas Tirith with banner and shield. I put this guy in because in this army, sometimes the captain of Minas Tirith and the knights have to go off and take out, take down like a flanking force or take down some objectives. the The infantry is not that fast. It sits there in a big block. It doesn't want to split off too much because clansmen getting split off are not that good. They need to be supporting each other. They need to be with the Angbor. So this this warband had to be self-sufficient. So I've got that good, solid investment in the cavalry. And then I've added six silo Guard with Longbow. So I had to have some shooting here because otherwise people just avoid me all the time. So I've gone for yeah. the Bodyguard shooting. The Bodyguard's there because they're going to be on their own, basically sitting in the back, holding objectives and shooting and being annoying. They're not really supporting the rest of the army. Um, they can. They can definitely intermix and come in, and the fight four is nice in that way as well. But they, they, they need to be able to operate on their own in little groups of one or two. So, Citadel Guard are the way to go in that way. And that's all, that's all it is. But it's a good amount of models. It's, we're sitting at um, 15, 12, 11 in terms of warriors. So, we add our three warriors to get to that. And we've got yeah, a that's... big army.
3: 40 plus, isn't it? Or oh, 40 on the th- nose? It
2: is 41.
3: One. Whoa. For 600 points? That's insane.
2: Yeah. Clansmen are cheap.
3: <sighs> wow. Wow, 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 wow.
2: Yeah. And it's effective. I've actually played an army. I think I played a 650 version of it and it was, it was surprisingly effective. It just. The, oh, the Angbor and the clansmen they, they they love having the spear support behind them. They love having the, the sixes. Yeah,
3: there's only one suggestion I think I can think of so far for this army list. Mm-hmm. And I think that that one warrior, Minas Tirith, with banner, shield, and spear, I think you can dump him and use those points to give all the Citadel guard horses.
2: You could definitely do that, yes. Not but all of them, horse for that, yeah. but you can you can fiddle around the points. Yes, you could have an all cav warband.
3: Yeah, I think, I think that's the only thing I would suggest, because I think having those Citadel Guard on horses in the back part of the board um, could be very, very beneficial.
2: Yeah, and I actually think that my 650 version of them was actually pretty similar to that. I think I did have them on horse, so mm-hmm. I've gone... I actually the... don't... Go on.
3: Yeah, you know, I actually don't mind Angbor as the leader in this list either, simply for the fact that... Um with the three points of will if you keep him behind a lot of guys and keep him tucked away behind terrain and don't really show his head he's very hard to get rid of because three will and fearless you you can't nuke him down with magic you can't break the army to make him maybe run away and he's got strike, so you have to do a coordinated effort and if he's hiding behind his own you Clansmen and knights of the White Tower—he's going to be very difficult to to go at. I mean, you have to have a real kind of uh assassination technique built into your army to really erase Angmar from the board. And like to to have something that can actually pull that off reliably at six hundred points, you're kind of almost looking at the Witch King and a Barrow White copping in at two hundred points to get rid of a sixty-five point model. So. <laughs>
2: and I've got the ultimate counter to counter that in that the clansmen, fearless clansmen love Barrow Whites and, and Witch King they just run straight at them. Good luck getting rid of them all.
3: Yeah. I actually, I actually don't mind, mind the gang leader later in the scenario. I think the only time you're really going to be under pressure is if you're up against something like, Oh, really trying to think of something out of the box here. Like, I don't know, Goblin town with the uh, Goblin King just running through everything or, or, or something like that. Like, even Felbeasts beasts are going to be struggling to dive over the back line if if you've got you've got some of your troops in anti flyer formation, and with forty models in your army, it's you're going to have leftover models to be able to set up that you know anti flyer formation. So mm. you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. I think the best way to kind of get rid of him is to cut your way to him with with another bigger hero like a hashirin or an Aragorn or something
2: that you almost need to bait him out give him somewhere where he has to use his strike and then go after him afterwards so it's one of those like sack a troll in order to go get him afterwards yeah but even at 600 you don't have a lot of resources to do that and you're right he's a 65 point model he's not expensive at all and 65 points for a hero of valor with with what i actually think are now very good eight point troops like the clans of lamidon have value He's just, yeah, he's just really, uh, like, frustrating
3: to have to, like, erase at 600 points. Like, Master of Bowfire might be able to do it, but if you're playing a sensible game with, you know, uh, with Terrain, how, how are you going to make that, how are you going to pull
2: that off? Uh, oh, and Kylie, by the way, um, I do like the banner in that because the Knight of the White Tail basically goes and backs up Angbor. Angbor doesn't get his own reroll off himself. So having the uh, reroll for him and the knight is really important, as well as all the spear support guys in the back. So you've actually potentially got That's fair enough. Fair enough. You you basically get a reroll in every combat then, and you because Angbors only got two attacks, and only two points of might, and you really you really want to hunt that six. Like the six is is gold. I, I feel like because he's so cheap, paying the twenty five points for that extra chance of getting it when you need it, I think is is not a bad idea. Plus it means those banner scenarios are a nightmare to fight against you because you've got the two banners and you can even just play bait with one of them.
3: Yeah, that's 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 uh, that's fair enough.
2: I like it. It's, it's a really fun army to play against. And it's, it's, I feel like it's the ultimate sort of ministerious death ball type army where you've just got this war band that, of infantry that are surprisingly effective and you don't really want to go against them. And the nice thing about them is because the clansmen do so much damage, you don't need to commit your two heroes. You've got until something really big comes in. And then when you do, you go up against a troll and all your infantry can do wounds to it pretty easily. So mm. a Knight of the White Tower goes in with three other clansmen and a bunch of Spearmen behind them against a the troll. That troll's gone. It's in a lot of trouble.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's true. So unless you got something with really high fire and it's really going to be sh- tricky for something like uh, uh, an Angbor or a Knight of the White Tower to deal with, I think actually now that I think about it, the one kind of model I'm thinking that could really, really make Angbor and the Knight of the White Tower really think about what they're doing is um, Yeah. <clears throat> Simply yes. for the fact that he can copy strikes and has an elven blade with high fight value in a bucket load of attacks. Oh look, that's so,
2: true. Fight five is a pain for them. We're um, looking at
3: Yeah.
1: And,
2: but that's and,
3: Amdur we're talking about, like the the biggest, baddest Easterling that ever that ever lived. <laughs> like we're talking about some pretty big heroes to reliably be able to deal with Angbor in this particular type of list.
2: Yeah, the the list look the weakness is that it's defense four from for quite a lot of it. So it's it is a bit susceptible to shooting. So if you've got a, a shooting army against it, you really probably wanna to use the march for the captain of Minas Tirith. You don't want your clans to be dying like three or four a turn to shooting, so like against say like a Corsair type army, they're gonna give it a make it a bit of a pain. Yeah,
3: or Haradrim mass bowfire could also Yeah, also one of make those armies. Twice.
2: At that point, you basically put your minister Tirith in front and run at them with yeah. that, putting the clansmen behind that, getting them in the way, keeping as many clansmen alive. And then when they make it there, you actually prefer to have the clansmen alive because the fearless is so useful. Because you probably will break at that point. If you're playing against a mass shooting army, you're going to play towards the end game, but you want to be able to win that end game. And you're pretty confident that once you get into combat, you can take out the heroes with, with your double strike two handed weapon guys. Yeah, it's a fun army. Kylie, try to follow that. You've got the last one for today.
3: All right. Well, I'll I'll be honest. This isn't my list. In fact, uh, since Matt couldn't be here for this portion of the cast, he has left me with, um, I guess you could say, one of his uh, legacies, uh, (laughs) if you will. Uh, This list... I'm 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 personally a bit skeptical of, but uh, we'll read it out anyway. Uh, so in warband number one, we have Boromir, captain of the White Tower, with horse and the banner of Minas Tirith and a shield. So all out. the big bad Boromir, full, full full um full kit, kitchen sink and everything. He's he's pretty pretty nasty. Uh in his warband we have six knights of Minas Tirith with shield, <clears throat> and that's all we got. In Warband number two, we have Ingold, on the Anchor. Uh, In his Warband, we have six Warriors and Ministeriath with Shield and six Warriors and Ministeriath with Shield and Spear. And then finally, in Warband number three, we have an allied contingent mm-hmm. of Prince Imrahil of Delamroth with Armoured Horse and Lance. And he has six Knights of Delamroth and 12 Men at Arms of Delamroth. Ooh. Now... <laughs> I know what you're thinking. What I'm is thinking... Matt trying to do? No, and... I, I
2: know what he's trying to do here. Scary.
3: Well, it, it is. It is pretty scary. Um, but uh, I don't know. I'm. I'm not 100 percent sent down with with how how scary this really is.
2: Okay, let me let me talk it up then, because you're going to talk it down. I'm going to talk it up. What you've got here is the overlapping special rules of Boromir's banner and Prince Hill's knight assistance. Where what is it? Something close to him? They get a plus one fight value. Yeah, Yep. And so I believe...
3: uh, Knights of Minas Tirith within three inches of Prince Imrahil have plus one uh,
2: fight value. Is it only Knights or is it the Men of Arms as well? Uh, men of Arms as well. Okay, so that that's the thing. Like, the pikes of the Men of Arms are really the key here because they're probably going to jump behind Warriors of Minas Tirith or, or just in the way of each other. Um, and the Knights of Minas Tirith, the Knights of Dol Amroth are on foot. So, yeah, you can put them at the front. But they're going to hug Boromir's banner Boromir's banner actually, I think, works with just all friends, doesn't it? It's not just. Uh it works with any model that has the Gondor keyword. Okay, but Dol Amroth does have the Gondor key- or, keyword. Dol so... Amroth
3: does have the warrior and Gondor keyword. Yes. Gotcha.
2: So that's the combination there. So you fight four uh, Dol Amroth knights, and is that the minister? Uh, the men at arms are also fight four. They get a plus one for Prince Imrahil close by, so fight five, and a plus one for the bar- banner fight six. So you got fight six pikemen yeah. dancing around in a Minas Tirith army um, with Boromir and Prince Imrahil as the beaters. It's it's relatively elite, but still, like, 30, 40 odd models, 39 models at what is it? 800? Or is it more than that? It's probably uh, more than it's that. It's 39
3: thousand. models at 800.
2: It's got no shooting. It's definitely a death ball type army, but I... I that's scary. If you get on a roll winning all your fights, it's not much that's going to match that. My only issue there is that um, the hitting power of it, uh, you've got the knights, which are pretty impressive, but they don't get the pike support. You've got Boromir and Prince Embryer Hill. If they get knocked off their horses, they're, they're good, but you may just, like, you may win a bunch of fights but not kill a lot, so... Yeah. Um, Plus, you've also
3: got um, Ingold as... Um in there as well, with his special rule overlapping as well. So,
2: so none Not of the warriors
3: uh, are moving backwards either.
2: Yeah, but there's only so much space you can overlap all those rules as well. So I feel like Ingold's probably almost off on a flank just protecting that scary fight six block with uh, Prince Imrahil and Boromir doing most of the work. Hmm. I mean, that's that's where my my worry
3: for the army is as well, is it's, yes, you got all these very impressive specials, but they only overlap in one spot and um in addition to that as well it's very susceptible to um big scary monster things so if you're up against anything that's fight seven like big monsters that are fight seven like troll chieftains dragons that kind of elk the fight six impressive death ball is is really going to start to struggle and it Because you're paying so much points to to overlay these special rules, if you lose one of those special rules, your army efficiency is going to go down drastically. And in addition to that as well, if you start losing troops too rapidly, you're just going to lose fights because you don't have the numbers advantage.
2: Yeah, the numbers are what worries me. I I think the heroes are pretty much, they're going to be good because you've got a fight seven Boromir, you've got a fight six Prince Imrahil, both with strike and a bunch of might. I don't think they're too worried about it. Magic is the one that I'm more concerned about with them because they've both got limited will and they're not sitting on any resolves, I don't believe. Mm. So, oh, no, no. Imrahil has the resolve, so that could be good. But I think it's going to be susceptible to the the Halo tactics and um, something that's just going to like surround and trap and, and munch warriors. The problem is then, though, you still... like Even captains are going to be losing fights against this. I, I'm, I'm interesting to see how it goes. I'm, I'm not sure. I honestly don't know. Um, shooting could take out a few guys, but once again, you've got pretty high defense across the board. I mean, yeah. of course, their army would absolutely love going up
3: against something like this. Oh,
2: A pure avoidance army would love it. Absolutely. Because they just halo it and and shoot it and all that sort of stuff. And then you're forced to waste your resources by calling marches and heroic moves. I don't think you have any marches, do you? No. Ingold has one? No.
3: I think Ingold has a march. Yeah. No, he has strike and defense
2: mm, So you're not speeding up Very much Unless Prince unless Imrahil has one Which I don't think he does offhand as well
3: I couldn't tell you off the top of my head to be honest
2: On the top of my head Imrahil has resolve, strike, strength and defense So
3: Yeah, I thought it was resolve, strength, strike
2: No, no, no I've actually got the book here I don't oh, remember anything excellent. <laughs> So it, he does not There's no march here so you've got an army that is, it's an infantry moving army with no march. It is susceptible to the shooting halo tactics, but the defense is pretty damn good oh i don't I don't know i don't know i'm I'm split on it. I feel like it could definitely get it could be a nasty surprise for people and it could with it, it, with someone who knew how to use this army it could be i think it could take a tournament it could out. be lethal Yeah, I just don't think people yeah, would know what to do against it
3: I think you'd have to change the composition around. Um, I don't think Ingold in the army is necessary. I think that the 612 park block is, 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 is where your kind of center point is. And honestly, I feel like you wouldn't put Imrahil on a,
2: a horse in this army. I yeah. think you have him on foot. Yeah. Cause I think you take, you have extra space. I would actually consider him on horse almost just for the threat and for the, the shooting magnet. Because well,
3: you got Boromir Bar- Bar- for the on horse threat, and then you can. Um, I think I would also look at Ingold's Warband and just get rid of Ingold completely, get rid of the warriors, and you know, maybe start- stick in some actual useful models like throwing a captain with some march or throwing era licenses to the guard bowmen or something like that. Something that's actually going to give your army some utility in there.
2: What if it was like I know this is a Minas Tirith episode, but what if you dropped in gold and just did a um, a Captain of uh, Dol Amroth, and then just got more more Knights of Dol Amroth and Men at Arms?
3: Yeah, yeah, that could does um, really random question. Does uh, Dwin Do here have um, March?
2: Off the top of my head, he only has accuracy and defense. Okay, so that's why I'm thinking the Captain of Dol Amroth because the March yeah. is is nice there. But I would also, Captain. um, earless mm-hmm. as well might be worth a swap for Ingold straight swap. Cause he's got the March.
3: Yeah, possibly. It's just, I, I worry when the army gets broken up. Like, a you don't want to be taking multiple.
2: A... You don't want domination. Do you, you want, you want start in the middle, stay in no. the middle sort of scenarios,
3: stay in the middle, starts, start in the middle, stay in the middle, or run to the middle or, because I don't know, a lot of the scenarios force you to get split up, and if you if you're hell bent on keeping your combo active, and keeping Boromir and Prince Imriel kind of almost on a a six to three inch tether within each other just to keep that fight six going, your opponent's going to split you up. They're just going to like horse you and Halo out, and like w- w- what do you do then? What what do you do when your army starts getting Pulled to pieces, and a three by six block of infantry with the knights and the metal arms—that's that's surroundable, that's because if you're going that deep, and you're going to need to go that deep to get the combo going. Yeah, I don't know. I, I get worried. I, I well, get worried for this list.
2: Also, if you take on something like a Rivendell knight or a Rohan list that's um able to avoid you with the, like all you've really got is Boromir and Imrihil to go in unsupported for a turn, and Hope to do their best, which is yeah, pretty good. What
3: happens good. when your horses go? Like, yeah. even against ring slack like ring race starts going right. First turn, three dice black dart on your horse. Three dice black dart on your horse. What do you
1: do?
2: Yeah, yeah. No, no. Look, it's it's the old, probably the ultimate start in the middle, stay in the middle type one. But you're right; it does have some significant weaknesses, which is what you get for spending so much on two big heroes with overlapping special rules. It that, that you need to work. Now that said, you don't always need them to work because you might not need fight six. So if you don't need fight six. Boromir and the Knights can go off on a flank and Emrahil can hold his own in the middle quite well. He's got the banner rule.
3: Yeah, that's true. That's Hmm. very true. It almost seems like it's a Gondor list that's designed to take on and beat Elves.
2: I think so. I feel like it's the, um, oh, you've got five Mirkwood Elves, do you? Here we go. Here's my fight six infantry of Gondor.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: Because my combat elves, they say my combat Merkwood um, army would hate to play this. Because I don't have enough shooting oh, no, to be able to no, threaten no. it.
3: I think, I it. think the, um, the Kingsguard um, with Thrandor could give them um, a bit of a pause for thought, simply because the Elven Blade does gives them the edge. Oh, no, I agree.
2: But I feel like Boromir and, and... Well, no, you're right. If I got them as spear supports, so I could hold my own there. But even then, I don't have the strength to go and cut through this. And... Th- Thranduil you is got, gonna be a, it's, it's gonna be all, cut down by Boromir. Be,
3: it's all gonna be on Thranduil. Yeah. Thranduil with the palace card next to him. Because then you got fight six with Album Blade and plus one to win.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I j ju- I don't know. I don't know. It's it's I feel like it's an army that um like matchup dependent, you could absolutely get ripped apart by this army or you could just pull it apart piecemeal over time.
3: Yeah. <sighs> like like, just to, like, take it one step kind of further in a, in a, in a different direction as well, what happens when you play against the 60-model uh, Goblin army?
2: I think you just jump in a corner and and fight it out. But you're right, you're right, because they, they wouldn't have any problem getting through the defence.
1: Hmm. And what,
2: then the, what, the king throwing stuff at Boromir and Imrahil, yeah, nasty.
3: Yeah, what do you do against an army with, like... A big powerful centerpiece, like um, uh, I'm trying to think of one, Give me a Azog, Azog, or Bolg, or uh, the Balrog, even like you're gonna really struggle to deal with those big, scary heroes, especially when they're backed up because they're just gonna punch a hole through your army.
2: Yeah, good good food for, for, for thought there. Look, I like this, this segment in that we can discuss all this sort of stuff. So Matt's not here to defend his list, so we can't be too harsh on it. But I look I think it's I think it's got some serious synergy there. And I think I think having Fight Six, Pikeman, Knights of Dol amroth is something worth writing home about, but other than that
3: Yeah, I think one of the lists now that I'm thinking about it that's really gonna make this army really, really think would be Spam Harrod with the betrayer. Oh yeah, yeah! juicy re-rolls to wound, throwing bucket loads of dice at you, a few turns of shooting. You're going to knock out all the f- defense six front rank real quick.
2: And they can't expose the knights or to get at you, and you can take them out reasonably well, yeah. Fifth thought. Yeah. Just kind of like thinking, what what, what could you do against it? Triple troll chieftain. That's another good one. <laughs> We're taking wacky armies to beat a wacky army. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> no, I'm sure we could do that with most 80 of hobbits, all the throw stones in the world? I don't know. I, 80 hobbits won't like this because of the high defense. Yeah, but
3: you get that w- one or two turns of just mass shooting.
2: Yeah, but once... Because they can't shoot through their thing, guys. Um, And you you can avoid the throw stones to the knights and Boromir and Prince Imrahil. So the knight shield Boromir. Keep him on his horse if you can. And then just go in with him and just... Hobbits, aren't... Hobbits can't match Boromir. No, that they don't have strike anymore. They die pretty quickly. But look, it's oh, look. That's an interesting army to finish on. We better pack this up, Kylie, because this is this episode is by far our longest one ever. And most of the time we do this, we split into multiple parts. This time, any listener that's still listening is probably well and truly out of it.
3: Yeah, to be honest, I am a little bit too. I'm just kind of like. Fluffy, string armies in my head. <laughs> uh, at the moment, I'm currently in the Isengard army list, thinking, oh, a decent block of crossbows with Farashka would have a good crack at it as well.
2: Don't do this. Don't do this, Kylie. We want to get some other episodes that aren't just army list episodes. We're going to mix it up a little bit. I know we've had mostly army lists, but we will get to all the armies listeners. I know that, that it's been... So many requested. Um, we're probably going to stick with the thematic ones. So the next one will be something probably evil and probably something that plays against Minas Tirith just to, to help you out of those scenarios. But we're not going to reveal it just yet. Um, hope you've enjoyed this episode. This was It's been fun. Minas Tirith is, is definitely more appealing now than it used to be.
3: Mm, as, as I said earlier on in the podcast as well, one of the absolute things I absolutely love, love, love about Minas Tirith now is... The sheer amount of options you have with your named heroes, or even just heroes in general, every single hero in this army list has a place and is a legitimate choice, um, in kind of almost any situation to be taken. Captains are great because they're one of the few marches in the list. You know, you've got things like Ireland who's good defender, you've got Ingold, who's great at, you know, going heads up, you've got you know, your big three in um Boromir, Aragorn, and Gandalf, you got good macro heroes in Denethor, like you got so many cool choices mm-hmm. and and that's the thing I really love about the list is choices. You've just it's such a fantastic list to have to play with now. Yeah. I think they've done a very good job of it.
2: If you like choices, this is an army for you, quite frankly. It's got so many choices and you compare it to my, my Dunland army, for example. It's got a lot more options. So enjoy Ministerith listener. Um, and we'll talk to you again shortly. Well, probably not shortly, but we'll talk to you again at some point. And remember, Trap Swing Games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, Pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on JRR Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener. Until we meet again.